we are doomed to extinction because of agriculture. We have raped and pillaged this planet. There is a, a transformation program, literally, for everyone, no matter who you are and what, what your interests are, uh, what your beliefs are, uh, which, which way you're focusing. There is a website set up just for you to take you in and to vector your thinking and your attention into the way that they want you to think. Categories for things happening in the sky and the cosmos. If you read the scientific reports that come through and put the pieces together, you can see something big is happening. Attacks 
Right. People are loving. So that's obviously that's an important and important ingredient in the, in the plan to convince people the reality of the terror threat. Well, you have to manufacture the reality of a terror threat. Okay. Um, it's but, a, it's an incredible concept when, when you think about it. I mean, a war on terror. What is terror? Terror is an extreme, extremely negative human emotion, right? So what are we going to do? We're going to declare a war on your worst fears. Yeah. But it's also a tactic, a war on terrorism. So it's a, it's a tactic. But in the same way, it's a bit implausible to wage a war, a global war on a tactic. Well, I think that the most interesting thing about the entire situation is that the more war they declare on terror, the more terrified people become. And so it's kind of like, obviously, it's not working. I mean, because people are becoming more and more afraid. And, you know, what's that definition of insanity? Is uh, doing the same thing again and again and expecting different results. So, I mean, it's, it's not really working because people are more afraid than they were before. Well, that's the point. I mean, before 9-11, I, w- I was never afraid of terrorism. Now I'm always afraid of it. And, you know, with each year, you're always getting more and more afraid. And it's just like, hey, wait a minute. Hold on a second here. You know, it's just like the... This is like they come up with all this like this GMO stuff, right? We're going to fix starvation. And more and more people keep starving. So it's like, at what point are we going to say, wait a minute, you know, you're not working. It's not working. There's definitely a pattern there. I mean, what, who was it? Nixon declared a war on drugs. And mm. yeah, look how bad the situation <laughs> is now, you know? So we'll, we'll declare a war on something and somehow it'll metastasize, proliferate, and just get totally out of control. Well, yeah, because at this point, I mean, you know, people... You gotta, you gotta start understanding that it's, it's completely and totally manufactured. You know, totally manufactured. It's nothing more than manufactured. If they come out and say that something's important, the exact opposite of what they're saying important is, is important. If they say that terrorism is a danger, terrorism is not a danger. Look in the exact opposite direction. You know, it's when they. You know, I mean, that's basically like the way it's become. You know. I hear, but as Joe just mentioned, there are real cases where you. Know, in quotes, terrorist attack happens, and people people do die as a result. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, obviously, and like I said, an important ingredient in convincing the reality of war or reality of our threat is to uh, carry out terrorist attacks. I mean, it's it's a threat against our people feel it as a threat, a personal threat against their own lives. Uh, so the way you can win that is to attack them personally. Take their lives and publicize it widely, so that the people who have been directly affected by the attack but get to feel a little bit of it as well. But then, yeah. by their own by their own sort of bullshit that they they propagate, that just creates more. You know, I mean, that just supposedly makes them hate you even more. So it's like the more you kill them, the more they spring up. It's the well, no, we're, like talk, we're talking here about, about people at home, like attacking people that you want to convince of the reality of a terror threat attack those people to make them believe the terror threat against them is real. Ah, of course, like what you're saying as well is true, is that um, the war on terrorism has done nothing if it hasn't created far more I, terrorism than, than or far more potential or even real terrorists. Um, I think that there are real the, terrorists. I think there really are. I think that there are real terrorists out there. And I think that there are more today than there were um, you know, on 9-11 type situation, obviously, because of all the crap that, you know, the, the Western powers have been doing, and they just treat it. Of course, but then you can't really call those people terrorists. If if if, if I well, get 
I mean, we should be honest about the term terrorism. I mean, terrorism is defined by an established authority. Anyone who's like just you know crap against them, basically, you know, they 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 choose how they're going to define terrorism. You know, I mean, the the English called the American revolutionaries terrorists. Of course, you know? yeah. I mean, that's just what they do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So they try to make it personal for Americans or people in in the West and. Europe, Western Europe, and America, they try to make it personal by saying that um, people like terrorists, but that's not enough. They tell them that, they tell people in the West that these terrorists hate you for your freedoms and for who you are. They, they hate you because you're free. They basically, these terrorists hate freedom. They don't like being free themselves. I well, mean, they lock themselves up every day just to feel a little bit of anti-freedom. The, the government doesn't want to admit the fact that the, the terrorists, quote-unquote, let's just pretend they exist for a minute, even though that's a questionable situation. The terrorists hate the government because of what, the, what they feel the government did to them, right? And yeah. so the government's sitting there saying, like, no, they hate you for your freedoms because uh-huh. nobody says – no no. They don't want people to wake up and say, well, what the hell did you guys do to make these guys hate you so much? Yeah, that's why they have to. What have you been doing? Well, we weren't. That's why they have to pass off the implausible narrative that there are a group, a large number of people who simply hate the idea of freedom. And therefore, anybody who adheres to the ideas of freedom or uh, supports the idea of freedom or lives, supposedly, a free life, then you're by definition hated by the terrorists. Because, as I said, these terrorists don't, they actually hate freedom. They, they every day, terrorists lock themselves up. You know, they, they cuff themselves behind their back and throw themselves into a small, kind of like, a box just to indulge their love of anti-freedom. Right. Yeah. Obviously. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously they do that because they hate I mean, freedom. I mean, how can they even just walk around I mean, in the street and feel freedom? When they hate it so much, it must piss them off, seriously. And then when they see Americans walking around streets and going into, like, Dunkin' Donuts and stuff, Jesus Christ, I would be livid. Gurdjieff once said, you know, if you want to understand men's behavior, you know, think about yourself and how you act. You know, judge them by yourself. And and, and that's what what Americans should do. They should sit there and say, wait a minute, under what conditions do I hate somebody with such vehemence that I would do horrible things? And none of them just hate arbitrarily. No one hates arbitrarily. That's just a, that's, that's complete and total bullshit. That's a fantasy person. A fantasy person hates without reason. You know? the, the reason could be wrong. Hey, they could totally be wrong. Mm-hmm. But no one just wakes up one day and says, oh, I'm going to hate somebody so bad that I'll blow myself and my babies up to, to do something bad to them. Nobody does that. You know, you have to be driven to that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's the experience of most normal people. And so a normal person hearing this kind of rhetoric from the government should take pause and say, hey, wait a minute. Nobody acts like that. What, what did you do to make them so pissed at you? You know, and, oh, and it turns out you did like quite a lot of things, actually. Well, according to the British government, mothers do wake up and blow up their own babies because they hate freedom so much. This is a story from 2006. Hunt on for baby bombers. Hate-filled mums willing to sacrifice themselves and their babies are being hunted in the war on terror. Security sources confirmed last night that alleged baby bombers were among those arrested over the plot to massacre thousands by downing transatlantic flights. Uh, Let's see. The discovery prompted fears that there were fanatical mothers in secret Al-Qaeda cells in Britain ready to become suicide bombers and die with their tots in their arms. 
I mean, and that's not tongue in cheek. I mean, that no, that no, was no, seriously like. I, I finally <laughs> found, I've been trying for like months to find a term for this, right? I talked to you before about this, and I've decided to call it and thinning. You know, when you were a kid and you were on the schoolyard, right. and there was that that kid who was trying to gross out the girls, and there would be some girls there, and there would be a little boy, and he'd be either trying to do something or say something to him, go ew, it's disgusting, right. right? And he would say, you know, like, and then the guy had you know boogers coming out of his nose, and then nobody's surprised. He was like, and then he ate. You know, and everything keeps getting progressively worse, right? Yeah. And that's what these guys are doing. It's like, it's this puerile schoolyard mentality of, and then they do this. Oh, if that doesn't surprise you. Oh, and then they might do this, you know, and they just keep upping the ante until they get some sort of shocker rise out of you. And it's just Yeah, and well, the, the telltale sign is that they go too far and things become so implausible. Yeah. Well, they point, keep trying now. They keep trying, but... I mean, there was a. At one point in that article, he says it. It may seem beyond belief, but we're convinced yeah. it's true, right? And it's right. like it's like you know, if something's too good to be true, it probably isn't. If something's beyond belief, it's probably <laughs> not true. And the reason they say that is because they, they they kind of realize in their head, you know, that wow, this is really kind of like out there, and people won't believe it, but they have to say, but we're utterly convinced. It's like bullshit. You know, you're convinced. You're making it up. We've had an underwear bomber. Yeah, a bra bomber, I believe, or an attempted bra bomber. Uh, a shoe bomber. A, well, a boob bomber, really. It was. Oh yes. Boob bomber was the allegation that uh, terrorists would use um, silicone implants lined with C four, or just C four implants masquerading <laughs> as silicone implants. Uh, and <laughs> I, they would, oh my God. Like these people. I, I really think I, I have to kind of laugh at the situation because I begin to wonder. I know it's really horrible. It's really totally horrible kind of stuff that these guys are talking about and what they're doing to populations and what they're, they're terrifying people. But, and in a certain sense, I mean, a lot of this stuff seems like it was written by a comedian, you know, who is just sitting there trying to come up with the most absurd claim possible. And it, it seems like they have like a competition between them, like which government can come up with the most absurd claim about what the terrorists are going to be doing, you know, ink cartridges, you know, explosive, like explosive breast implants, you know, and it's like this psychopathic kind of like, you know, one-upmanship game of who can come up with the most absurd conspiracy and get people to believe it, you well, know? Yeah, I think, I, it, I think it is made up of the psychopathic mindset of of not really knowing, not really, not really dealing in facts or reality, but basically what comes out of my head is reality, the truth yeah. is, 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 a, is a fact. So, uh, and not really. And under that, under those conditions, anything goes, really. You know. I think they're gaming people. You know. I mean, I think that they're really sort of like chuckling to themselves, like, I want to say this. Let's see if they believe it. And you know. I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I mean, I I don't think that they actually believe this stuff. You know, no, they don't believe this stuff. They're they're just well, making it up. Pulling the, they're trying to pull the wool over people people's eyes and and getting off on it. It's duper's delight. You know, that's all it is. It's the delight of getting people to believe you when you've told them. You know, yeah. a complete bullshit story. The thing is, and substantial numbers of people do believe more or less these stories. I mean, obviously, they, I'm sure they raise their eyebrows like us at these tales, but enough of them must believe it that they are going along with it. Well, there's I'm, a fear factor, you know. Yeah, but, and, and the, the problem is true. Yeah. Go ahead, Joe. No, yeah, the problem is that there are some. Um, Muslims, because this is a uh, war, a uh, Muslim terror threat. Not just any old terror threat, but it's largely a Muslim terror threat. And there are some Muslims, you know, let's say intellectually challenged Muslims uh, from, you know, inner city areas 
of Western Europe and America who kind of get caught up in the whole sure. propaganda, the other side of the propaganda, which is which is equally uh, controlled by Western governments, which is, you know, they control Al-Qaeda, in quotes, propaganda by disseminating it. And there's these young kind of gullible Muslim guys who get caught up in it and who will hatch plots, kind of thing, but really ill-conceived plots that they have no chance in hell of ever pulling off. But of course, in the UK, for example, MI5 would be listening in, would have identified them or would someone would have mentioned them to the police in, in, a, in a hysterical kind of society, you know, tell on your neighbor type thing. So they'd listen into them and, and, and they'd hear the details of their plot. There was one just a few weeks ago in Birmingham in the UK where these three guys, well, they were unemployed. They were kind of scam artists. They were posing as uh, charity workers for a Muslim charity and then just keeping the money and stuff. And they had been talking, all of this had been recorded by MI5, the British Intelligence Service. They had been talking with each other while they were tooling around in their car in the evening looking for something to do about, you know, carrying out some bombing or something. You know, we'll shoot people or we'll go and get people. You know, and One of their ideas was to attach blades to a monster truck, to the wheels of a monster truck, and drive it through a crowded area. <laughs> and uh, so this was the level of discourse that, that you're dealing with in these people, but it's being recorded by MI5. When they take the court and they, the media, you know, spreads far and wide, you know, it's going to be worse than the 7-7 bombings. And, and these three guys come across as complete idiots with no chance whatsoever of ever doing anything that they're talking about, just blowhards, basically. Yeah, right. You know, and uh, and like I said, a bit intellectually challenged as well. But they're used as fodder right. for the war and terror mill uh, and spread the, 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 the threat, the renewed threat is spread by the media. Right. And it's just ridiculous, you know, and that has happened over and over again. And in the last, since 9-11, those kind of events have been the meat and bones, or meat and potatoes <laughs> of... Uh, of the terror threat, they have the that those kind of things have been the evidence for the reality of a terror threat continuing to exist since 9/11. Mm -hmm. And they've all, and those like those three guys in Birmingham were, they more came up with it themselves. I mean, they uh, they didn't they didn't have any bombing materials. They didn't have any plans. They didn't. One of them thought that one of them had been talking about a sports drink, yeah. and that there were chemicals in the sports drink that it could make a bomb out of. <laughs> So that was the extent of their of their planning and their plot. Brondo. Yeah, Brondo. Brondo. But it's, that's what... Got with suicide bombers crave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it has electrolytes. Yeah, so they... Uh, but but nevertheless, they were held up by the media and by the government as a serious terror threat. And they're like, we just... We missed that one by the skin. Like, These yeah. guys were going to do some serious damage. I mean, they were gonna, they were gonna, they were gonna steal the grave digger, attach blades to his wheels, and drive through. You know, yeah. What's the famous? What's the famous? Camden Market or something. Camden Market <laughs> with grave digger. Yeah. But I mean, those guys supposedly came up with themselves. Although I don't know if they were, they may well have had a uh, a helper from from the government. But many other incidents like that over the past, you know, since nine eleven, really have all involved, and if, particularly in the U.S., but also in the U.K., but particularly in the U.S., uh, basically a sting operation, entrapment by the right. authorities, by the FBI. Right. The FBI have mounted 
literally dozens. I think it's hundreds. Yeah, but yeah. really well publicized ones. Right. Uh, of operations like the sting operations where they find, like I said again, some inner city impoverished, intellectually challenged young guys. They don't even have to be Muslim sometimes, uh, and they set them up to be terrorists because there is no other evidence of this terrorist threat. So they have to find evidence. So basically, the FBI will either do it directly or they'll have one of their informants go and contact this guy. And like one of the, um, let me see, one of them from, there was one from um, 2009, May 20, 2009, U.S. law enforcement arrested four black Muslim men in connection with a plot to shoot down military airplanes flying out of an Air National Guard base in Newburgh, New York, and blow up two synagogues. So they were arrested in May 2009. Four men were identified as, they've got four names, they were basically 27, 28, 32. Uh, one of them was 55. And they were all residents of Newburgh in upstate New York. Uh, the lawyer filed a motion to have the case dismissed on the grounds that the bomb, that the plot to bomb synagogues was entirely the brainchild of the FBI, and the men were used by the FBI's professional informant, Shahid Hussein. Uh, the defense lawyer claimed that Hussein's job involved visiting suburban mosques in an effort to find members with anti-American leanings and recruit them to join a fake terror plot, supposedly funded by a Pakistan-based group. And here's the interesting part. This is par for the course in these in these kind of sting operations. In baiting the men, the FBI informant drove around in an FBI-supplied BMW or a Hummer and other cars to make him appear well-funded. He suggested to the defendants that he could provide them with 250 grand. He attempted to incite the defendants by blaming Jews for the world's evil and telling them that attacks against non-Muslims were endorsed by Islam. These guys didn't know this, apparently. <laughs> they were. He suggested targets that the defendants wanted to attack. He paid for the defendants' groceries. He bought them a gun. He provided fake bombs and missiles. He assembled explosive devices for them, and he acted as their chauffeur. And these guys basically called this guy and said, "We can get some money out of this guy, so let's just, you know, pretend. Play along. Let's play along. Yeah, we want to be terrorists. Just keep the money coming. You know, keep buying our groceries and driving us around." And so the, the upshot of those kind of cases is that um, at a certain point, when the <coughs> FBI informant hands in this you know plastic bomb or something, mm. the FBI swoop in, grab them, and it's a terror, terror plot foiled. Yeah, and a real near miss that one. It's all over the headlines. Yeah, of course, when it comes to to court, it usually collapses. But it doesn't matter because by by then the you're already on the, the next press. story. Yeah, the thing is, you've moved on. No, but very often it doesn't collapse. Doesn't well, very often the people are sent sent down for years. Yeah. Oh, right. On the basis of this, it doesn't collapse at all. That's well, that's mean, the horrible thing. I mean, the big problem there oh. is like you know you get four four stupid people like that. You know, I mean whether we have to sort of like define whether or not they were like mentally retarded, which it does actually sound like maybe they could have been. Or, you know, a bunch of little opportunistic assholes who want to play that game. To be quite honest, I'm not really going to cry about them going to jail after, you know, willing, being willing to play along even for money. You know, I mean, yeah. that's actually a little bit more distasteful because well, they were willing to play along with such an idea for for money. You know, I mean, that's that's, that's kind of actually a little bit sickening. Well, <laughs> well they're usually patty criminals, you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, obviously that's 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 a contrived situation. And I think 
I don't think I've actually read of a, a real terrorist uh, attack, to be quite honest. I mean, I've, I've read a couple of accounts of so-called terrorist situations and terrorists, but I don't think I've ever read a real one. I, I mean, I believe in the possibility of terrorism. I mean, totally. I believe in the possibility of any kind of terrorism. I mean, you well, I believe in the possibility. I believe in the reality of it, but that it's, carry, <laughs> it's perpetrated by, by governments all around the world and always has been. Well, yeah, I mean, this is essentially Trinquier and, and Frank Kitson, yeah. the Kitson doctor. You know, that came out of you know Algeria and Malaysia and, and Kenya, which is basically they came up with this whole idea that in order to uh, inoculate the population, as they put as they put it, you know, of course they're putting it in their in their way, that to, in order to inoculate the the population against the possibility of being revolutionized against the government, that they had to basically perpetrate a, a, a propaganda and terrorism campaign against their own citizens to get them to hate. The you people know, they wanted to conquer. The, the, yeah, they hate those people, you know, and they basically explicitly say this. Trinky explicitly mm-hmm. says it in his book, and, and Kitson also talks about the same sort of process. So it's, it's an established way of doing it. It's mind war. It's, it's mind war directed against it's propaganda and mind war against your own population. Mm-hmm. Speaking of informants and entrapment, I was watching um, earlier today The Power of Nightmares, a great documentary made by a British guy. His name escapes me. But uh, there's a 10-minute section there on the origins of Al-Qaeda. Specifically, oh, you've got the clip of that there. I do indeed. Excellent. I think we should play that for people because this is the first time that Al-Qaeda gets mentioned, at least in the West. This is January 2001, before the attacks at 9-11. Okay. Even Bin Laden's displays of strength for the Western media were faked. The fighters in this video had been hired for the day and told to bring their own weapons. For beyond his own small group, Bin Laden had no formal organization until the Americans invented one for him. In January 2001, a trial began in a Manhattan courtroom of four men accused of the embassy bombings in East Africa. But the Americans had also decided to prosecute Bin Laden in his absence. But to do this under American law, the prosecutors needed evidence of a criminal organization. Because as with the Mafia, that would allow them to prosecute the head of the organization, even if he could not be linked directly to the crime. And the evidence for that organization was provided for them by an ex-associate of Bin Laden's called Jamal Al-Fadl. During the investigation of the 1998 bombings, there is a walk-in source, Jamal al-Fadl, who's a Sudanese militant who was with bin Laden in the early 90s, who has been passed around a whole series of Middle Eastern um, secret services, none of whom want much to do with him, who, who ends up in America and is taken on by uh, the American government effectively as a key prosecution witness and given a huge amount of American taxpayers' money at the same time. Um, his account is used as raw material to build up a picture of Al-Qaeda. Uh, the picture that the FBI want to build up is one that will fit the existing laws that they will have to use to prosecute those responsible for the bombing. Now, those laws were drawn up to counteract organized crime, the mafia, drugs crime, crimes where people being a member of an organization is extremely important. You have to have 
an organization to get a prosecution. Uh, and you have Al-Fadl and a number of other witnesses, a number of other sources, who are happy to feed into this, who've got material that looked at in a certain way, can be seen to show this organization's existence. You put the two together and you get what is the first Bin Laden myth, the first Al-Qaeda myth. And because it's one of the first, it's extremely influential. The picture Al-Fadl drew for the Americans of Bin Laden was of an all-powerful figure at the head of a large terrorist network that had an organized hierarchy of control. He also said that Bin Laden had given this network a name, Al-Qaeda. It was a dramatic and powerful picture of Bin Laden, but it bore little relationship to the truth. The reality was that Bin Laden and Ayman Zawahiri had become the focus of a loose association of disillusioned Islamist militants who were attracted by the new strategy. But there was no organization. These were militants who mostly planned their own operations and looked to Bin Laden for funding and assistance. He was not their commander. There is also no evidence that Bin Laden used the term Al-Qaeda to refer to the name of a group until after September the 11th, when he realized that this was the term the Americans had given him. In reality, Jamal al-Fadl was on the run from Bin Laden, having stolen money from him. In return for his evidence, the Americans gave him witness protection in America and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Many lawyers at the trial believed that al-Fadl exaggerated and lied to give the Americans the picture of a terrorist organization that they needed to prosecute Bin Laden. And there were selective portions of Al-Fadl's testimony that I believe was false to help support the picture that he helped the Americans join together. I think he lied in a number of specific testimony about a unified image of what this organization was. It made Al-Qaeda the new mafia or the new communist. It made them identifiable as a group and therefore made it easier to prosecute any person associated with Al-Qaeda for any acts or statements made by Bin Laden, who talked a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. Conveniently. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever anybody was saying like, oh, the... Terror threat's not so bad, and Bin Laden would make a video. Oh, by the way, the terror threat's very real! Yeah, Bin Laden, in quotes, would make, a, would make a video because, you know, I'm sure people are aware that there have been many videos of Bin Laden and also audios of Bin Laden, and very few of them seem to actually be Bin Laden. Mm. Uh, in fact, uh, several of them are clearly not Bin Laden in the videos, and at least one audio, the, so voice, the voice has been... Has been confirmed as not being in Laden by a by a Swiss lab. Have you ever read lab. 1984, where where the people uh -huh. would do like the I think it was called like the two minutes hate or whatever it was. They would yeah. go into the theater. They would see like a whole bunch of like people getting shot up and got spilling everywhere, and they would laugh and cheer and stuff like that. And then at the end, there would be this big head on the screen of Emmanuel Goldstein, and he would say stuff like "I hate your whatever" and the goodness of your government and all this different I stuff. I hate you for your freedoms. I hate you for your freedoms. 
And that, you know, to, to and it was kind of co- really convenient that this Emmanuel Goldstein guy kept making all these videos justifying the war against him type of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's, I think it's later revealed that, that Emmanuel Goldstein is just working for the government or maybe he was dead or something. I don't know. They were making it all up, basically. And, and that's who Bin Laden was. You know, he's Bin Laden's not the boogeyman. He's Emmanuel Goldstein. And they killed him off, so now they're going to come up with another one, obviously. But Well, about that, they I mean, they got... What nearly eleven eleven years out of him? Yeah, and the guy probably died in December. There was a report that he had died on December thirteenth, two thousand one. Mm-hmm. So none of those videos were probably Bin Laden saying, "Yes, I'm Al Qaeda." Yes, I did. Yeah, the first few might have been. He never used the name Al Qaeda himself. No, he didn't know. And also, they probably had some archive video of him. But uh, yeah, there's a bunch of the one of the later videos. Well, how many, clearly like, an impo- clearly an imposter. did they have? You know, what was his lip saying? I mean, you know, it's always translated. You don't know what he yeah. said, you know? Well, well, it, there was one video where they did get some analysis. So, he, you know, we see him on screen and the subtitles are saying he's saying one thing. And then somebody spoke up and said, I speak that language. <laughs> he didn't say that at all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They can but it doesn't whatever. matter. They can get away with it because the guy, most people aren't going to pay attention. Yeah, the guy. Well, most Western people don't speak Arabic. For example, so, yeah. you know, yeah, it's convenient. The guy in this uh, in that audio we just listened to made an interesting point at the end. There, he, I don't know if he made it on purpose, but he said basically that uh, the terrorist, the Muslim terrorist threat, is a replacement for the communist mm. threat, and that's that's very true when you mm-hmm. think about it because. Yeah. What the what the terrorist threat really is is for what the Muslim terror threat is for this hidden agenda, apart from scaring people, it also gets people uh, in Western nations to support the war on terror, which is basically American and Western government, Western military intervention in other countries, uh, and that's that's the kind of hidden agenda. It's you have to have an enemy to fight. Right. You have to have an enemy entrenched in a certain country who is. You know, in, in some way, someone, some way, supposedly a, a threat to to you. So you have to go and invade that country, Where occupy it, bomb it. I mean, like if you think about it, the American population has lived in perpetual fear since the end of since since the beginning of World War Two. Basically, if you if you look at it, they've mm-hmm. lived in perpetual fear. That uh, you know, first it was the fear of the Germans. Once Germans were done, it was the fear of the communists. And then once the communist situation was was taken care of. Now it's the fear of, you know, the terrorists. You, I mean, the American population has lived in a state of perpetual fear for the better part of almost a century at this point now. It's you know, 70, mm-hmm. 70 years now. 70 years of total fear fed by the government. What I think happened is at the end of, of World War II, you know, the CIA brought – or the OSS at the time, actually – uh, brought over the, the the German scientists from Project Paperclip, and the first question that they had to ask is, "How did you guys do it?" You know, because they they, they were they, I mean, it probably blew these guys' mind. How did how did Hitler maintain such control and get all the population to fund this war and do all these horrible things? Because man, sure we'd love to. Because I mean, if you're if you're in the OSS or the CIA, you're you're a psycho. I mean, just plain and simple. You know, I mean, that's just what you are. And yeah. So, the, so any of our listeners, are you in the CIA? If you, if you want, if you CIA, want, if you want to contest Jason's statement that you're a psycho, please call in, and are. we will evaluate you live no, on air. I don't want any CIA people no, okay, don't call in. Don't call <laughs> Write us instead. Write us an email. Write us an email telling us why you're not a psycho. I'm not a, I'm not a psycho. Well, the kind of 
The whole communism thing. I mean, because there's this whole criminal organization thing, right? You know, I mean, this whole charging... This whole charging somebody who's a participant in a criminal organization for the acts committed by their boss, right? This is the whole mafia thing, right? So when you work for an organization that does terrible things uh, from the top, okay, uh, you are culpable for it. We've, we've already established that in our laws. We use that to prosecute al-Qaeda. We use that to prosecute the mafia. We should use that to prosecute people, members of the CIA. Because when the CIA does criminal things, then you know it, is become, it, it has done something criminal and needs to be prosecuted under the rules that we have established that when you're an organization and you do bad shit, and there are people, even if that person is just filing papers for the CIA, they are contributing to the giant horrible machine that did those horrible things, and therefore they are culpable. It's like the, the, the accountant for a mafia is still charged just as much as you know, the, the enforcer on the street who kills people, just as much as the boss who gives the orders. You know, you're a member of a criminal organization who has done criminal things, and therefore any aid you give to that organization during their criminal activity is a criminal act, as long as you could be said to have been aware that it was actually a criminal act. And there's no possibility that a person in the CIA could not have access to it when we do, <laughs> and we're just these regular Joes reading the news every day. And we know they're criminal, and if you work for the CIA, you should know it's criminal too. And if you don't, you're a bad person. Part of the problem is that much like the mythical Al-Qaeda, people who are, in quotes, in the CIA often are not actually aware that they're in the CIA or they oh, might, yeah. or I mean, rather they, true. they have uh, illusions about being in the CIA, but like uh, the so-called terrorist networks, their elusive their membership is not defined. It's not on paper. It's yeah, sure. They have some sure. things on paper. Yeah. There are some people who are officially on the pay, CIA payroll, but we're talking about an organization that is so much bigger than the officially exists. Oh, absolutely. Hence, its ability to reach in and, and, and right, absolutely, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. spread Immense. their corruption all over the world. Yeah, um, you were gonna, you were talking about the connection with communism there. I think there's an interesting point where these two narratives of um, we're going after this country because there's a communist threat brewing there, or we're going after this country because they're harboring Muslim terrorists. Yeah, the two meet. In the 70s, late 70s, yeah, in I Afghanistan. Mean, yeah, most people probably know more or less about <clears throat> the idea that Afghanistan was the the breeding ground, supposedly, for modern-day al-Qaeda, in that um, when the Russians invaded Afghanistan, the Americans decided to arm a bunch of fundy right-wing Muslim nut jobs to fight against them. They give them a bunch of RPGs and anti-aircraft missiles and that was about it and lots of money and training and they fought against the Russians. But the thing about that was that the Russians were baited as Brzezinski, the national security advisor uh, under Carter, uh, has said the Americans deliberately provoked uh, the Russians to invade Afghanistan uh, because they knew that they'd be able to bog them down in their Vietnam, as he called yeah, it. Yeah. But um, the the thing is, at the time and in the years leading up to that, the Russians really like um, Afghanistan at the time was uh, on the border of the Soviet Union, 
So it was their it was their backyard. It was their sphere of influence, you know. And the Americans were kind of meddling, you know. And there was a it was an unofficial agreement, although it wasn't kept to most of the times. But there was an, un, an unofficial agreement that the Soviets had their sphere of influence and the Americans had theirs. And then there were other areas where they kind of fought over over them. But Afghanistan definitely was within the Soviet sphere of influence. It was right on their southern border. So the uh, the Soviets were happy enough if if the Americans had agreed to it to to basically just set up a kind of neutral government in Afghanistan, uh, largely secular and, you know, not, not, a, not hardline either way, not, you know, uh, not, not hardline Islamic or not uh, hardline communist or socialist. But, and, and the, the Russians really didn't want to invade, but the Americans wanted them to invade to give them their Vietnam and just basically make them look bad, bog them down, give them a bad experience. Um, it was a tar baby kind of situation. Yeah, but at the same time, the other agenda was to install a, a right-wing fundamentalist Islamic government, or you know, put put the put put the fundy Islamists in power more or less in Afghanistan, because I mean, throughout since uh, the Second World War and all of the American imperial adventures, they've always found common cause. Uh, in, in, a, in a country where there was an option between a kind of socialist um, movement or a... I mean, in those days, they would call themselves communists, but they weren't really communists. They were kind of like... They just wanted so they wanted a social democracy. They wanted um, basically... They wanted health care and jobs. They wanted, yeah, yeah. So, so, social social justice, basically. I mean, they didn't care what they called it as long as they got health care and jobs. You know, Absolutely, I mean, you yeah. Call it whatever you want. So that was a natural... In most countries, that's the natural... When the people rise up for things, that's what they rise up for. They have a revolution for it's like better jobs or jobs, uh, better pay, better kind of living conditions in general. And um, and for the Americans, that's that's the worst option basically because they want to control the country. They want the country to be a client state and for to, I never to have to have it because they could have their they could have their cake and eat it too you know i mean they could have that i mean well it's, 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 social... there's a mean there's a mean streak about the the psychopathic aspect of governments that makes them actively want to not have that just because they they want to hurt people like there's a sadism about yeah, there them. probably is in the psychopathic because you could have a, an absolute total tyrannical government that still gave you health care yeah, you know i mean yeah. you could yeah you know and that wouldn't be as bad as what you end up getting, yeah. but it's the mean spiritedness of apathocrats that makes them exactly. There's bad. that. There's definitely that aspect as well. From a from a political aspect, it's they the American government knew and the CIA knew that if you allow a social democracy with some nice guy, mm-hmm. like in Chile, like in with Salvador Allende. And there was a guy in, uh, in in Afghanistan at the time before the Soviet before the, the Soviet invasion. Um, Daoud, his name was. He basically they were they were more or less decent people in the sense that they wanted. I mean, Tavlori Ende was a great guy, and Daoud in Afghanistan wanted the same things for his people, which was he wanted to free women, basically, uh, and pass land reform because women at that time were heavily influenced by the whole Islamic code. They weren't allowed out in public and all that kind of stuff. And he wanted to give them jobs in in, in politics and in, in normal life. And he wanted to, um, you know, change the kind of land system where it was more evenly distributed and all this kind of stuff. But the problem is, so if you allow some kind of a option like that to, to establish a government and his party to establish a government, 
those people invariably say, well, you see our natural resources? We're going to want to keep those for ourselves yeah. and for the development of our country. Yeah. And the Americans fundamentally, in invading any country, want access to those resources for themselves. So that kind of a government is not the kind of government that the, that the Americans have ever supported. And in, when they're faced with an option between that kind of a government or that kind of a group taking power and the fundy Islamists who don't really want that kind of thing because they want to they go back, most of them want to go back to the, the Stone Age. And they're very small. But with American help, they can become quite large and influential. The Americans always side with the, with the fundies. And that's what they've done. And that's what they did in Afghanistan. Okay. By arming them to fight the Soviets and then basically allowing them to turn into the, the Taliban um, and then go to war against them later to justify you know, a renewed invasion. And also, I mean, people probably have heard of the, um, the Northern Alliance in Afghanistan that was initially was, it was this group that, it was basically these same fundies that, that the Americans had um, trained and funded to fight the Soviets. They were now, after the Americans invaded in 2001 or 2002, this northern alliance that were helping the Americans to hunt down Al-Qaeda were basically Al-Qaeda. They were yeah. the same, I mean, not like we've just heard Al-Qaeda doesn't exist, but so it becomes very complicated in that, in that sense where you, where you have this, I mean, talking about a group that doesn't exist and you have the American government supporting a group uh, that a while ago was supporting a group that, w- that is the same as the group that they're fighting. I mean, that's what's going on in Syria today as well. So. Yeah, I mean, when, when you're dealing with like, when you're dealing with any government, I mean, you should just immediately not believe anything that they say. And like I said before, believe the exact opposite. You know, I mean, if they say we're going in to hunt Al-Qaeda, they're not. You know, I mean, just 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 automatically invert everything they say. And the thing is, is that is that ninety percent of the time, like you'll get closer to the truth, and ten percent, yeah, maybe they actually did tell you the truth. But as a general rule, the government wraps ten percent of truth in ninety percent of lies. They take a tiny little curl of truth, and then wrap it up in a big fat lie. And if you just invert it on its head, you'll probably be close to the truth. And most of those lies are lies by by omission. A lot so of that. the context of, of Afghanistan, you know, oh, this great big terror threat, this Muslim terror threat. Yeah, the one that you created. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm always big on this quoting this Alexa Torqueville, you know, uh, in today's age, you'll be all the more likely to follow a tyrannical government by the very fact that it doesn't appear to be one because so much of America's power is is, is exercised by, by indirect implication of things. Things that they don't tell you right. exert power over you because then you can't make informed choices, right? So this whole concealing information, national security, lies by omission, that's, an, that's how they exercise their power most of the time. The thing is, is most people don't see you know, thousands of soldiers running through the streets, pulling people out of the houses and shooting them. So they, they think that if it's going to be a dictatorship or it's going to be fascism or it's going to be this, all these horrible you know, types of governments that they've heard about, that they think that it's going to be like that. But they don't realize that when, 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 when the Speaker of the House says something or the White House Secretary does those little things or you know, Obama with his State of the Union type of thing, when he lies to you, he is exercising a kind of power over you by not telling you the whole story. And what's even worse is he's ex- exercising another kind of power when he gets you to agree to the fact that it's okay for him to not tell you. The minute that you accept that it's okay for the government not to be transparent, when it's okay for the government to keep secrets and decide what secrets it should keep, 
you've given away power that you, you don't really understand what you've given away. And then you have created a kind of tyranny of omissions, of omissions of abilities of, well, you could do something, but you can't. So you might as well not have these particular rights. You know, you have this freedom of speech, but you can't really do anything with it. So it's kind of really arbitrary that you even have it, you know. And so and then in a certain sense, the, the tyranny of the American government is not, you know, jackboots in the street with armed people, even though there, there's a little bit of that. You know, there's all these, you know, heavily armed paramilitary police people in like, you know, airports and train stations and all this different stuff. So, yeah, there's a little bit of that. But as a general rule, the enforcement of, of, uh, of this type of tyranny in America is really about controlling the information and about presenting incorrect information to you for you to consume, omitting the truth fabricating lies and you have no you, you don't have access to any of any other information you kind of have to eat the lie because the only thing to eat is like you know you go into the kitchen and there's a mcdonald's hamburger on the table and that's the only food in the house it's like yeah you're gonna eat it <laughs> you know it, it would be nice to have some steak and potatoes it would be nice to have a big fat pork chop but you can't because there's no pork chops and that's how the government in america specifically but i think most western governments have learned to rule this way because it's extremely difficult to combat. There can be no revolution against that. There really can't. There can't be an armed revolution in the United States. There can't be an armed revolution in the West. It would be pointless, futile, bloody, stupid, corrupted. I mean, it's such a gloriously bad idea. There can't be. And that, that's the solution that they've, they've thought about this from the history of all this different stuff, of all these different revolutions, of all these different sort of revolutionary movements, you know, from all the way back in the days, you know, with James II up into the... American Revolution, the Civil War, you know, the the Civil Rights Movement especially, like the Civil Rights Movement and the, the peace movements of the 60s that really got them to start thinking, how are we going to prevent this? Because we have all these people who are generally good-hearted and nonviolent, and they're resisting us. They found a way to resist us without shooting at us. It's amazing, right? And so the, the answer that they came up with is to create this kind of government where all the controls are exerted indirectly they never come at you directly they never come at, they, they, there's never a policeman at the door saying if you don't believe what we tell you we're going to shoot you they never do that oh it's although, all like yeah, the, the you won't have a job anymore you know you won't have a job yeah. you won't have this you won't have support you won't be this you won't be that everything they they organize society they divide it up section it off they organize society to act as counterbalancing forces against each other so the, the poor against the rich and the middle class against the upper class against this class against that class and the people with this and the people with that. And each person in each state is like, I'm California and all this different stuff. They split people up. They put them in the clicks. It's even, it's even like Mac users versus Windows users versus Linux users. I mean, they just – they have an infinite level, you know, and they encourage it. They don't, they don't design it. They just encourage that natural tendency in people to group off, and then they antagonize them. And then they start antagonizing each other. It's like what I talked about in my article. It's like they just get the ball rolling. All they did was get the ball rolling. And we see today are just sort of epinominous of that seed kind of event of just, you know, trying to split people away from each And then they just started kind of doing it on their own, you know? So that was very long. Yeah, I kind of digress oh, there. Yeah. All over the place. <laughs> Sorry. I just, yeah. Anyway, indirect power, that's how they do it. They're not going to point a gun. There's probably going to be no official removal of the First Amendment or even official removal of the Second Amendment from like the Constitution. It's all just going to be the by implication and indirection. And yeah. Well, I, I was reading somewhere today, the U.S. has a, not officially declared war since December 1941 right. against Japan. Right. Every single atrocity has been committed since then 
Oh yeah. It's implied power at work. Right. You know? yeah, exactly. Um, it's never on paper. Never on paper. So well, then when you try to drill them on it, they say like, "Well, we're, we're, no, we didn't. We were just going in there to help. We swear." Yeah. Prove it. Yeah. You know, it's not what you know. It's what you can prove. There are. What strikes me about the war on terror? Um, there are certain countries that play the leading role. Obviously, the U.S. is talking about mostly here. Mm-hmm. Hey, Tony Blair's inf- infamously now mm-hmm. George Bush's poodle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. France comes to mind, mm-hmm. and Israel. Mm-hmm. Those four countries in particular, but also other European countries. Why is it that they are? Is it any sort of mystery that it also turns out to be like the richest countries that are kind of like at the top of the food chain when it comes to like economies, you know, largest economies and stuff like that? It's money, you know? I mean, it's, 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 it's so it's exercising an economic power, right? Well, yeah, I mean, in a certain sense. You it's know? also about the countries with the largest number of psychopaths in yeah. power and in, in, in positions of control. Because psychopaths have a, um, a kind of destructive impulse. A dominating, controlling, and destructive impulse where they get their jollies from dominating and destroying other people. And if you're in a position of power in a, in a major Western country and you're like that, um, well, then the best way to, to get off in that sense yeah, right. is to send in the troops or send in the drones or you know, exercise that, 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 um, mm. that well, creepy is- need. In a certain sense, the reason why I think that it's like that is because they're the countries with the most to lose. The populations have the most to, the most to lose because they have the most comfortable life. You see, mm-hmm. uh-huh. they're, they're less likely to make waves about it. So, you know, when you, when you have the good life, you know, you don't want to give it up. So you're not you're not going to make any waves. You know, and that's that's again about this whole exercise of power. It's easier to have power for people who have things to lose than it is about people who are, you know, already starving and already don't have a job and already living on the street, you know, in, in, in large populations. It's much more difficult to manage them in the way Western powers are done. I mean, we wouldn't have the same kind of tyrannies there. You have to kind of have a military tyranny when you, when you have lots of poor people. I often hear that, you know, people uh, say in the anti-war movement in the U.S., they all argue that we need to stop these wars if only because... They're bankrupting us. They're bankrupting yeah. our economy. Yeah. Now, um, they say that on the one hand. But they're not. There's a fine balance, you know. There's also great profit to be made. <laughs> well, there's, only, there's only profit to be made. Apart from killing people, there's only profit money to be made and, from war. Money is and generally speaking kind another of thing that touches on something you said, Jason, um, are the wars, are they, are they necessary to, for, for us in the West to sustain our relatively comfortable lifestyles? No, money is imaginary to begin with, right? So you can't go to the money thing because it's it's all kind of a bit of a joke anyway. It's all kind of a bit of a play. It's all it's all this sort of stuff based on debt, moving numbers around, and it's all based on the faith that those things are worth something. So I mean, I don't really think that in the end it's really really about money. Well, at the level of corporations, it would be about multinational yeah. corporations. It's about money. It's about getting access to raw materials for almost nothing. In all fairness, no, it can't be even then. Right, because these people have so much money. They have an inconceivable amount of money. To be fair, most of these large corporations have such an inconceivable... We're talking about... like William Goldman Sachs has like trillions. Like they have, they have more money than they could ever spend if they tried to buy like every Ferrari ever made in the history of the world 
and gold plate all of them, they still couldn't spend all of the money that they have, right? So, I mean, it can't be about money for them because well, they have so much money, they couldn't run out of it if they tried to buy a Ferrari well, and gold plate it well, every day. That's, bank, that's the banks, though. Yeah. But the level of the corporation, they still have. Well, they how still much money work. does Monsanto have? Well, Monsanto's pretty big, but there are other corporations involved in, in get, that need raw materials from around the world to, to, to produce products. And they want to produce as possible so they can enrich the, the CEO and all of the, uh, the VEs and stuff. Right. But they're all being encouraged to do that. It's the banks ultimately. And sure, the banks don't. Uh, money isn't a factor for the banks. For the banks, it's, it's about control. It's their own ownership, right. ownership of. But if it was really about money, then maintaining the economy and not bankrupting the living hell out of everything would be, like, kind of the point, you know. I mean, yeah. they might be just completely and totally incompetent, which is something that I lean towards. We have, we, yeah, we have a call here, so we're going to take this call. Yeah. Hi, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi, my name is Silvio, and I wonder... Hello? Hello? Silvio, can you turn your speakers down? Yeah, we're getting feedback here. Yes, hi. Hey, Silvio. So, I'm what's Silvio, your question? I'm from Romania. I was wondering <laughs> if if um, they are going to Afghanistan and Iraq and all these countries, and they're saying that they're fighting on terrorism... Imagine if they would come, if uh, if they would come to USA and things, what, and you would be fighting with them. You you mean if you mean if the terrorists came to to the USA? Oh, we just lost them. Uh oh. I didn't really understand what you were saying. No. Uh, you can call back to Bill if you if you like. We get didn't really post, get on the post on the yeah, or, or send the chat chat uh, window. But yeah, so it's about um, it's about respect. <laughs> it's about <laughs> control. Ultimately, it's about control of the resources and even. Beyond that, the resource of the planet, and beyond that, it's about control of the population. I mean, I hesitate to kind of pop that, but it seems to me that that's the ultimate design or the ultimate. I don't think there is. Ultimate result is that you have control psychologically over large numbers of people. Right. I mean, who wants that? Does somebody want that, or is, it just, is that just a byproduct? <laughs> and I go, oh, yeah, we can control these people, but that's not really what we want. We just want all the goodies. Yeah, but like the goodies only make sense when you have people who have them in a sense when you have societies and when you have economies with levels of income and, and different jobs and stuff like that. I mean, having a bunch of poor people starving on the street is not really benefiting, is not necessary, right? I think in the end that the goal is actually just being evil and being mean. Yeah. I mean, it really is it's kind of just meanness. You know, it's just mean spirit. And I mean mean in the very classical sense of the word of being like the lowest possible uh, kind of like spiritual, you know, development in a person that makes them do these types of things. I think that the goal is eventually, I mean, the psychopaths in power, they're just mean people. Mm. Like they, they do it because it's fun for them and they're mean. You know, It's not mm-hmm. really in the end about money. It's not even really so much about control because there are, there, are, there are easy ways to have. They already have control. They have plenty of control. They don't need any more control. So it's about killing people. 
well, not just that. It's about torturing people. It's about yeah. hurting people. It's about you know pulling the wool over people's eyes. It's about sort of like you know tricking them over and over again. You know, it's like mm. it's, it's like toying with someone before you kill them and snickering thing, you know? in your back room. Like there was this, there was a video of how they treated Gaddafi or whatever it is. Yeah. Remember, yeah, right? That video and they yeah. kind of like they tore them. I think there was even a claim that they raped him or something like. That. Yeah. And then like we're shooting him and then. And then and then they killed them, right? And that's what's fun for them. The most fun for them is the kill. It's all the stuff leading up to it. Well, they have that written down actually in the CIA book of how to overthrow a, a, a government or a, a dictator or a leader or whatever. Um, they're they're explicit about um, about humiliating him yeah. publicly. Yeah, it's very in important. an effort to. Uh, demoralize yeah. any of his supporters. It's about demoralization too. You know, I mean that's what, and it, it basically makes you afraid. You know, I mean that was the whole release of the Abu Ghraib thing and all the waterboarding stuff. It was basically, you know, see what we do, you mm-hmm. if you go against us type of thing. You know, this could be you. This could be you type of stuff. You know, it's because it's meanness. It's really it's meanness. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just it's not kosher in my opinion. You know, from a statesman kind of point of view to do that kind of thing too. It may well be kosher. It's not. It's not okay. Yeah, I mean, that kind of behavior is really not okay. It depends what you mean by kosher. Yeah, it depends what you mean. Uh, anyway, moving on. Um, no, that was just a little dig at the Israelis. Because uh, I was saying Israel, that kind of thing is kosher. Because they torture and humiliate Palestinians all the time. So it's technically kosher. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think people should find that kind of behavior fundamentally unacceptable. You know, in any human being. It's just absolutely unacceptable. Yeah, when you get, when you join the CIA, you get brought into that world, and you get brought along, and before you know it, you're doing it. Yeah, and, and you're a bad person for doing it. Yeah, you know, when, like when, you said before, you're a bad person for doing it. Everybody and participating is, in it, even if you even if you're just the guy that that demands the door of the torture chamber, you know, you're you're just as responsible for what goes on in there because you open the door. The sad thing is that there's so many human beings on this planet who otherwise would lead fairly normal, mundane, inoffensive lives. Who, at a moment's notice, would find themselves could find themselves in that position of being a bad person doing something like that? Yeah, totally. That's a major problem. It is a major problem. The thing is, is I look at like you know human beings is kind of like a spectrum, right? There's like this left side of the spectrum that's all white colored, and those are like good people who like no matter what situation you put them in, they are never going to intentionally. Or even indirectly cause somebody hurt. You know, if you say open the door to the torture chamber, like no, I'm not going to. And the very few. And on the right side is like this bright, bright, or this dark, dark black side. And those people are very, very evil, right? Mm -hmm. And in the center is like gradations from left to right, from black to kind of like gray, and then from gray to white. You know, we're right in the center of the people who. in most situations, they wouldn't do something bad, but if really put under pressure and fear, they would, and, you know, getting better and getting worse. So it's kind of like the spectrum of very good people, medium to okay people, and then okay to really satanic, evil, hey, let's all sacrifice some babies, you know, yeah. type of thing. So listen, where are you in that spectrum? Call in and let us know. You know but it, no, it actually reminds me of the... Of what we talked about in previous shows uh, about the Milgram experiment and the Stanford yeah. Prison experiment, and that they came out more or less fifty-fifty yeah. in the Milgram experiment, where people were meant to administer electric shocks to somebody they didn't know for getting an answer wrong. Fifty uh, percent of the people, more or less, went all the way yeah. to the potentially lethal shock, right. and the other half balked at it and yeah. wouldn't do it. 
Some of them wouldn't do it. Some of them had problems with it, and some of them had real problems with it, but still did it. And some of them had some problems with it at yeah. a point, and then some of them didn't have any problems at all. You know, so it's a it's a spectrum on our side. But the small core of the people, I mean, there's there's very few Buddhists and there's very few Gandhis, basically the way that I look at the situation. And everyone in the middle is kind of malleable, and under the right circumstances, everybody has their rights. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if somebody you know holds a gun to your child says, if you don't do X. I'll shoot your child, you'll probably do it, even if that thing is kind of horrible, you know? So everyone mm-hmm. has their price in a certain sense. Some people don't. Like, Gandhi didn't have a price. Yeah. But very, very few people don't have a price. And that's what we're talking about in the uh, in the war on terror. It's uh, Western governments going around promoting people like that who don't have a problem with this kind of torture and abuse of other people. Don't have a problem with... Uh, they're promoting those kind of people in power and leaving them there for a while. And then... If, adjustment. And then, and then pointing at them as terrorists and going back to the country because that was that was point all along. Yeah. Um, but it's um, it's kind of interesting because one thing I was reading there about um, about Afghanistan and, and the Russians invade, invading Afghanistan and that whole situation in the late seventies and early eighties um, were as uh, someone on our chat just mentioned that uh, Brzezinski said, um, give his blessing to these right-wing fundy Islamist nutjobs that the U.S. were promoting. Uh, the big new Brzezinski said, uh, told them that you're caught right, God is on your side. And that was in around 1980. And 20 years later, Brzezinski, still in power, is cheerleading uh, an invasion to root out these same people who are now terrorists. God was on their side. God and right was on their side 20 years ago. Now they're terrorists, and we have to, we'll have oh, yeah. to invade them to rid them. Rid you should them. expect nothing less from the government. You should expect nothing less from government and politicians. I mean, because they're liars. Everybody knows, right? And that's the thing that, in, in a certain sense, kind of galls me. Everybody knows that politicians are liars. Uh-huh. But they only believe them. You only believe a politician when you're afraid and it's, and, and it's convenient. But most of the time, everyone just admits, yeah, they're lying to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. But nobody does anything about it, you know? Yeah. Nobody knows what to do about it. Yes, yeah, so the, whole, the, whole, the whole communist threat at the time was a red herring. I mean, talking about Brzezinski, it was Brzezinski, and surprise, surprise, uh, Rumsfeld, uh, Cheney was there, and uh, Wolfowitz, and a few others. Uh, Some people who have been in power in America for the last Well, those years. people at that time, they were called, they called them Team B. Team A was the CIA at the time, and, T, and the CIA was providing intelligence on the Soviet, on the extent of the Soviet threat. Right. And they were basically saying that it wasn't such a real threat at all to American interests. Uh, but Team B, made, of, made up of these usual suspects, uh, had a problem with this and told the CIA that they were totally misinterpreting the, uh, this intelligence and that it was far worse than they were suggesting. Uh, so they were basically politicizing the intelligence uh, or using the intelligence for political gain and twisting it. And they did that at the time and it led to a whole, the whole arms race during the 80s um, and a massive build-up in spending for the military and a massive uh, expansion of CIA operations and covert U.S. military operations around the world because they spun this Soviet threat, it wasn't really so bad at all. And they did exactly the same thing, they, exactly the same people. Cheney, Rumsfeld, Wolfowitz, did exactly the same thing 20 years later, uh, leading up to the Iraq war. As well, most right. pe- most people know, they did exactly <laughs> the same thing in terms of they went to the CIA and said, and, and spun all of the intelligence. And they, they, went, they got really desperate because they started just pulling people Anybody find who would make up a story about how evil 
uh, Saddam was and how he was connected to Al-Qaeda and how he had all these weapons. Anybody that would do that for a few bucks and sign their name at the bottom of the document, they pull them in and present them to the American public as here's evidence. But then that kind of also presents a little bit of problem, right? Because you know here these guys are, they're at the top of the food chain in America, and, and they and they couldn't be arsed to plant a single bomb, you know? I mean, really, would it have been so hard to plant a bomb? Who? Uh, you know, these, these people in charge who were, who were telling all these lies, you know, Wolf... Cheney and Wolf... They couldn't plant... I mean, the fact that they didn't find any weapons of mass destruction... Oh, I mean, plant very, one, as in, yeah. yeah, as in, yeah. yeah it's very telling that they didn't find any when, when, when the big powers in yeah. America, you know, just couldn't pay somebody to, hey, can you drop, you know, a couple of sarin gas... You know things. Yeah. Can, you know they didn't even find residual stuff. Yeah. I mean, I've how, thought about that, and I figured that it must have had something to do with traceability, or not wanting to leave themselves exposed. They waited up and said, "Listen, the chances of us being exposed in this are pretty high. How do we get one that's authentic?" That's and strong th- evidence that there's no grand conspiracy. Yeah. Well, it's strong they, evidence that there's no unified conspiracy in the world. That it is basically a bunch of self-interested psychopathic leaders who are just basically in positions of power and are trying to do anything and everything they want. And, you know, the American people let them get away with it, but they could be stopped any day at any time by, you know, the American people simply, you know, waking up and just not believing the lies anymore and saying so. I mean, that's really mm-hmm. all you'd have to do. Yeah. No grand conspiracy, but people conspire. Um, sure. There's a famous speech You and by... I conspire all the time. We conspire about what we're going to have next. You know, I mean, everybody conspires. Right, but I'm, this I'm, whole I'm... thing of, like, lifting up conspiracies to be something like, Ooh, it's like when friends share the same interest, like, oh, let's watch some Ed Wood movies, and they talk about, let's next week have an Ed, Ed Wood movie-a-thon. That's a conspiracy to have that. If it turns out that you like molesting children and bombing small countries, which most of these pathocrats do, then, yeah, they get together and they have conspiracies. Hey, let's go to Bangkok and you know molest some children. Hey, let's go bomb this country. Hey, let's go kill this other person. That's what they do. Yeah. I mean, there's no difference. The, the only that, difference is the level of evil of what they do. And for people who want to go further and think that there is a grand conspiracy or have some feeling that there is, then as we've, we've said, as we've said before now, the the real conspiracy is psychopaths. How they got here, and if somebody put them here, if it was Mother Nature or aliens or whatever, however psychopath the psychopathic type. Uh, Became, uh, you know, basically became part of the human, the human race, or not? Um, that's the grand conspiracy because they are the ones who are the kind of foot soldiers. If there is some overlord, yeah. then they are the foot soldiers of the or doing his work. But they just do it as a matter of their nature. Right. So you're not going to find any grand conspiracy in looking at what they do, like Jason just said. They just do it because that's who they are. They like bombing small countries and you know abusing. So we, we before about psychopaths being very uncreative to say the least where they seem to be programmed and you can you can ex- almost anticipate the reactions because yeah. they'll always you put them the in charge things. of a government yeah, put, put them in charge of like economy what will they do yeah and the same things play out time and time again exactly. in history right every single time and that's because they all get together and they self-reference you know for them external reality doesn't really Exactly. It's, it's you put a couple of psychopaths together, and if they all agree on something, then they'll use each other, and even their own their own thoughts. If they think it, then it's true. It's objectively true, and that's why they come. That's why we're seeing such crass attempts 
uh, at deceiving people because they're not very creative or imaginative, uh, as you said, because of that, you know, because they don't seem to be able to think in abstract ways. Uh, and even, you know, because to really c- uh, carry off a, a very good conspiracy or deception, you need to really put yourself or be able to put yourself in the minds of other people who you're trying to deceive and right. trying, you know what I mean? And, and they don't tend to be able to do that, you know? And it's because so that's why they're successful, you know, because they're so incapable of imagining the, the, the nature and reality of another person's mind that their lies are so disproportionate to anything that a, a reasonable person would say, I need to tell in order to get this person to believe it, that they, they, they succeed just on that basic fact. It's kind of like the Hitler thing, the bigger the lie, the easier it is to believe. Right. And he observed this thing, but for them, they, they tell these huge lies because they're just so incapable of imagining any other reality than the one that exists in their head, you know. Yeah, you know, like what saying. A, um, a listener, Muxel, on the uh, on the chat just said, paraphrasing Lord, she said, there need not be a conspiracy if interests converge. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just unified self-interest and, and meanness. You know, yeah. It just turns out that it takes a, a, a consistent series of forms. Yeah, and another listener, Pashala said, I'm wondering if the powers that be are assuming, sorry, are amusing themselves about us stupid people when they give peace prizes to guys like Obama Absolutely. and the French President Hollande or the EU itself, which they have done. Maybe they get a thrill out of such things. It's duping delight. You know, this has been something that's been observed in, in all kind of psychopathic individuals that they, they actually have pleasurable sensations when they pull one over on you. I mean, that's really, that really gets them off. They have the light in duping people. And I would say there's some people who, to some extent, delight in being duped. Yeah. Well, depending I mean, on how I they're being duped. Is, is that like all the stuff like that article, I don't think it was written by a psychopath. I think it was, it was it's an and thinner, you know, like I was saying, the and mm. then, and then. And those people are like sycophantic authoritarians, right? It's like they worship the concept of a psychopath because it would be to them it's like the ideal state because they're so devoid of conscience and devoid of of any sort of like compunction they actually desire that state because they think wow it'd be really great oh yeah what if i didn't what if i didn't have these pangs and responsibilities what if i could just do whatever i wanted they kind of worship that psychopathic thing and so they try to emulate it which is why it comes off so completely and totally Mm -hmm. you know farcical and puerile yeah so um, just for our listeners, if anybody wants to call in with a comment or a question, feel free on this topic or any other topic that springs to mind, because this topic obviously can lead off in different directions. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to say that for anybody um, anybody wondering about the war on terror, it really, the war on Muslim terrorism, and whether there is a Muslim terror threat or not, there really isn't. The only threat that there has ever been is the threat of people power and ordinary people demanding kind of social justice uh, from either for themselves or from a government and trying to, to enforce that basically. And that that's the threat that is perceived by the power B is people power and people basically... Um, taking control of their own their own lives and uh, and their own countries, the places that they live in, right. and the whole point of the war on terror and and the Cold War previously was to use those two threats as a justification to go around the world and make sure that anywhere where that uh, where, where there were people who were galvanizing and um, you know forming 
calling themselves a group of parties that were going to put this into place, put social justice into place in their countries, uh, anywhere that that was taking place. And the U.S. or Western governments had interests, strategic interests there. Then they went there. Uh, they called those people terrorists or communists. And they destroyed them. And they put, they overthrew uh, a socialist um, government like they've done in so many countries and installed dictators. And in terms of the war on terror, when the, in the late 70s, when uh, there was a uh, prime minister of Pakistan, not long after Pakistan had been created, actually, um, and he was basically this kind of guy who was going to have social justice and uh, you know empower the people and have a, basically a decent country, uh, fairly secular. He wasn't right-wing Islamist or anything like that. His name was uh, Ali Bhutto, and the CIA went in and basically over, helped to overthrow him, staged a coup, and overthrew him, put a general in power, uh, General Zia, who was a right-wing nut job, Islamist nut job, and billions of dollars uh, to, to him and his government in Pakistan afterwards. And he set up a bunch of these madrasas in the tribal area of Pakistan and Afghanistan. Like Kuri Madras? No, not Kuri Madras. Right. But I'm sure they served it there. But oh, <laughs> but these were madrasas, basically schools, Islamic schools, and these all of these schools uh, were used to churn out as many, you know, to basically radicalise in, in a fundamentalist, fundamentalist Islamist kind of way, uh, radicalise as many people as, as they could, and churn them out <laughs> and make them the 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 evidence for there being a fundi Islamist threat, and they also then controlled them and used them through proxy groups and stuff the Western government, CIA and MI6 and uh, other intelligence agencies used them and pushed them around different places and, you know, they could make them, they could have them, they could manipulate them to to stage a, some kind of an attack in any country, any area they wanted uh, to achieve their aims and ultimately to pop terrorists and attack or invade that country as they saw fit. And that is the the basics of the war on terror and what it was and the Cold War previously. Keeping people in a state of fear and keeping them away from each other. I mean, like this whole baby bomb thing, this is all like, they did this kind of stuff in, in the Vietnam War, too. You know, they had this whole, why don't why, why are you bombing that, you know, why, why, why are you bombing that village? It's like, oh, well, they, they throw their babies at us and the women are armed and they're willing to blow them, you know, that kind of stuff, you know. It's the same sort of thing. It's just basically, but it's also making people afraid of going near anyone they don't know. I mean, if I, I mean, right now after reading that article, if someone had been walking down the street and saw a baby lying, you know, you know, next to a trash can somewhere, they wouldn't have gone up to pick it up. They would have left it there and ran away and called the police. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's what it does to people. It, it it subverts their humanity in a certain sense to make them afraid of other people. They won't connect to it. And the real truth of the matter is, is the the power of the people. Is not necessarily even in civil disobedience. It's not in revolution. It's not in free speech and all this stuff. The power of people is the ability to to put aside differences between somebody else and just you know forgive them for being different from you, forgive them for having different ideas than you, and just joining together for a common cause, being social, exercising the socialness of of humanity. And everything is about everything about you know American society and Western society is all about honeycombing society. So that none of them can become a large enough mass that they wouldn't be controllable. Because 
there is enough people, good, normal, regular human people, that they couldn't shoot you all, they couldn't arrest you all, and even trying would just be pointless. And they know that. So that what they have to do is they have to secular, they have to make people into little tiny groups and move them across. That's why when they go into countries, they set the most unpopular group of people, the meanest group of people in charge so that everybody hates them and now everybody's fighting and they just create this kind of infighting and division. It's divide and conquer. Yeah. And, you know? Absolutely. And talking about the CIA and you mentioned Vietnam, just getting back to how CIA people are, what do you call them? Evil? Evil. Just pure evil. Um, there's one example of, of the kind of thing that was going on. This was in 1958. Uh, there's a guy called um, Alan Lawrence Pope. He um, He's a retired U.S. military and paramilitary aviator. And he um, he joined the CIA flying, flying their their fake, uh, flying under their fake uh, you know, air transport companies. Air America? Air America. Well, at that time, it was called the Civil Air Transport. Right. And um, it was a front, CIA front organization. And he was flying, uh, it was all about fighting the communists and stuff. This was after the Korean War and just uh, building up to the Vietnam War and their the Americans' influence um, taking over from the French, Indochina, basically Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, uh, um, yeah. Indonesia. And he bought, he, this guy basically flew around in an airplane bombing um, parts of Indonesia towns and cities in Indonesia uh, and boats, uh, all supposedly communist boats and stuff. But this was all, obviously the whole communist thing was a cover for the U.S. Uh, you know, protecting its interests against pe- people it, that were thwarted. That's understandable. But, but, they're just being mean. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's what they claimed it as. But, uh, so this guy's flying around. He, he's a psycho because um, he basically bombed and killed bunches of people uh, in his bombing runs for the CIA. And it, he was caught uh, eventually, he was, he was his plane was shot down, and he was captured by the by the Indonesian government at the time. And um, but the American ambassador intervened, and because he was condemned to death, which he should have been, but he was released and sent and sent back to America. And he later said himself that I enjoyed killing communists. Uh, and he said, they said Indonesia was a failure, but we knocked the shit out of them. <coughs> we killed thousands of communists, even though half of them probably didn't even know what communism meant. Which is true, probably the vast majority of people caught up in those, in that Cold War co- conflict, and those Cold War conflicts did not know what communism meant. They were just basically people who were being manipulated. And a, l- a lot of them knew what they wanted, which was, with, as we talked about, social justice and and, and things like that. Uh, an end to any kind of you know corrupt rulers and stuff, um, but they were all called communists uh, by the Americans, and therefore they were slated for execution by napalm or large bombs. You know, so well this is it. The historical narrative says, or at least uh, a lib- let's say a liberal historical narrative says that Vietnam was a failure. Says that. The invasion and occupation of Iraq was a disaster, and so on and so on. But are they really from from, from the point of view of the psychopaths no. doing this? Who said it was? A, they're, well, they're disasters and wars, but you have to understand that we haven't had a war in a very very long long time. Like a very, I don't even know if this is it. World War Two was kind of a war, but all the rest of them were not really wars. They were who knows what they were. They were about something weird, because the point wasn't to go in and win. 
The point was to go in and like occupy territory and waste money and lives and all this different stuff. I mean, you know, Sun Tzu 2,500 years ago said, do not go occupy a country. Either destroy it or, you know, don't do anything with it. You know, basically, if you're not going to go there and destroy it, don't try to occupy it. It'll bankrupt your state. Basically, he said 2,500 years ago, if you occupy a country, your state will be bankrupted. What's going on in America right now? They're occupying two countries. Are they occupying more than two countries now? It depends what it's your definition of occupation is. Because Occupation is if you send soldiers to another country and they don't come home right away. They're, well, since they Obama came to power, like they're doing that less and less. They're, they're relying Are less there on American troops or you yes, know, in Iraq, represents, uh, in Afghanistan, in several African countries? Do they have a bed there? Yeah, I like mean, where they're sleeping, and they don't just go there and then come back the next day. No, there are, yeah, there are U.S. military bases in every single country. No, yeah. in 121 countries. Yeah, I mean, it's most countries. In, insane. What, what you know? Why yeah, do you have bases? Yeah, it's an empire, obviously. Well, that's something I want to ask you. It's an empire, right? It's an American empire. It's ostensibly no, it's, yes, it's, it's an American. psychopathic empire. You know, we currently live under a it's, psychopathic empire. Yeah. You can't call it an American empire because when you say the word American, you kind of, you're supposed to – America is supposed to represent a, a couple of different ideals that are really kind of important. You know, Basically, freedom, democracy, power of the people, um, and this kind of like this whole send us your cold, you're hungry, you're huddled back type of thing, right? Uh, when, when, it, it's I'm going to eat them. And, and we'll eat them. You know? But now today like you have people like this thing – I really hate Piers Morgan. Right, I really hate this guy. Who doesn't? I mean, he's so offensive, right? But there's this movement of people who want to get him deported, right? Yeah, and that's the most un-American idea I could ever. A person who says that can't really be considered American. I mean, this whole like, you know, let's strengthen the borders. That's that's an anti-American idea. Let's hold, you know, send us your cold, your hell masses type of thing. You know, America is about some ideals. When with the empire, the empire that we see today. Call, may, might call itself the American Empire, but it's not. It doesn't represent American ideals. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't represent freedom, democracy, uh, justice for the guy. You know, even going back to the yeoman farmer type of thing, the Jeffersonian thing. You know, even though a lot of people might argue with that, I still think that that's really one of the core founding principles of America. It's it's an empire that is currently um, managed out of a large chunk of land on the western side. It used to be all the on the western side of the Atlantic. <clears throat> it used to be America. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can call it an American empire because basically the country is called America and that's where it's managed from. That's where the, the seat of power, basically. Name only. But, yeah, as far as, you, as Jason's saying, it's not... Uh, depends what you mean by America, but... So when it's psychopathic empire, basically. Yeah. yeah, it's an empire of psychopaths. We're dealing with an empire of psychopaths. Until we stop talking about England, France, and America, and start talking about the psychopathic people who just are doing this shit, we're, we're always going to have a problem of really understanding the situation because we think that there's this separation. We think that there's an American empire, and we think that there's a French empire. We think that there's an English empire, but they're all ruled by psychopaths, and so it's a psychopathic empire. The fact that there's psychopathic factions is just sort of like a, a complexity. And the, the psychopaths problem. use the term themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, the project for the new American century, this clique we were talking about earlier, Rumsfeld, Cheney, Wolfowitz, Pearl, they wrote this document, Rebuilding America's Defenses, in 1998, mm-hmm. in which they 
encourage, let's say, incoming U.S. policymakers to project American dominance over the entire world. Mm-hmm. They came up with this term, full-spectrum dominance. Yeah. They use the term empire. Yeah. yeah. So at the very least, they do project. They do want Americans kind of, in a subconscious way, to, to think of themselves as being at the head of an empire. Maybe no? certain Americans and certain think tanks and things like that, but um, yeah. I mean, as long as they maintain forward momentum, it's gonna it's gonna be okay, you know, with the U.S. As long as they as long as the machine's in motion, like it'll stay for a little while, you know. It's just like because it's so big, it kind of can't help it move a very long distance to all the little people. But what's going to happen in America is the same thing that happened to the Soviet Union. Is the minute they lose momentum, everything's going to fall apart from all the rotting internal corruption. I mean, there was no revolution in 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 Russia. The, to get rid of communism, it just basically fell apart. Same kind of thing will probably happen to China as well. You know, I mean, they have all this expansion, they have all this growth, and so that's keeping things going. But eventually, you know, they'll come, they'll ascend, America will descend, it will fall apart because of all the rampant corruption that people put up with, all these corrupt psychopathic politicians. It's going to fall down, it will collapse, then, you know, another, probably China uh, will, will come, and then it will do the same thing because people... They, they, they don't learn, you know? Well, in um, talking about this, there's a big new Brzezinski guy again. Who uh, is this guy? Uh, he was a national security advisor to Carter. He's basically a... Uh, Eminence Grise. He's a kind of an Eminence Grise. He's like a Cardinal Richelieu. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and he, uh, you know, he's a... Thinks, thinks himself as a bit of an intellectual. He's written a few books. He's a Russian Kissinger type of character. He, yeah. Or the conspiracy he, theorist out there. He's a Bilderberger... He founded the Trilateral Commission. He did find the Trilateral Commission, yeah. He, uh, he wrote a book in 1988 called The Grand Chessboard. Right. And um, just on, on what you were just saying there about how ultimately America can't sustain itself as an empire in that way. Right. He, in his book, The Grand Chessboard, he said on page 35 that never before has a populist democracy attained international supremacy. That's America, the populist democracy attaining international supremacy. And he says, but the pursuit of power is not a goal that demands popular power, i.e. the American government can't run around saying we're just after power and expect people to support them. But he says, except in conditions of a sudden threat or challenge to the public sense of domestic well-being, like 9-11, for example. He says the economic self-denial, that is, fence-spending, and the human sacrifice involved, which is casualties, among, even among professional soldiers, required in the effort, are uncongenial to democratic instincts. Basically, he's saying you can't have a you can't have an empire if you want to have a fully fledged democracy as well. He says right. democracy is inimical to imperial mobilization. Mm, totally, which is true, but he doesn't seem to give a shit about it. Um. Well, the, the thing is, is, the answer to this problem is for for democratic people to to kind of compromise a little bit on this, you know. I mean, to stop being such peaceniks about everything, stop being so guileless. Basically, the problem is that good people have no guile whatsoever. They shun it completely. They have no cunning and no artifice, and and they don't expect cunning and artifice from from politicians and bad people in power. And that's mm-hmm. why they keep 
and, and and they die by droves. You know, they're starving to death. They're dying by you know sicknesses. I mean, most Americans now have like three chronic illnesses that they're taking medication for. It's absolutely insane. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the state of health in America is horrible. The state of jobs is horrible. The state of the economy, everything is horrible, and it's going to continue to be horrible until. You know, good people who are, you know, just want things to be nice can can develop a little bit of cunning in office and and not be so completely and totally believing believing everything. They just believe everything that they're fed. They're not really bad people. They just accept the lies and they don't expect that someone's going to lie to them and just start expecting it. Just change a little bit. Mm-hmm. We've got a call here, so we're going to go ahead and take it. Hi. Hello. Can you hear me? Hello. Yep. Hello. Hi. What's your name? Betsy. Hi, Betsy. Hey, Betsy. How you doing? Pretty good. Welcome back. How you doing? I'm doing well. Enjoying the radio program. All right. What you I got? I just noticed talk? some when y'all were talking earlier about how far back this goes. You. Mentioned maybe, you know, 100 years or whatever. To me, this whole nation is founded on the same terroristic principles. I mean, first it was the Indians, uh, then we moved on to Japanese or blacks, Japanese, whatever. America has always been controlled by fear since day one. Um, consumerism requires constant expansion. An empire requires constant expansion or collapses. So this uh-huh. is nothing new. But there's only so much of the earth to conquer. Oh yeah. Well, well, yeah. Well, I'm sure then we'll find other planets to ruin. <laughs> other planets? Yeah. I mean, pretty much. The next thing you know, they're going to be fighting over the moon. I mean, I wouldn't put well, it past these people to fight over. They're the moon. talking about uh, mining asteroids. Oh, that's right. mineral. Right. Yeah, Earth first, then we'll destroy somebody else's planet. Yeah. I mean, this is what happens when you when you. I mean, because psychopathic individuals, they're like you know the the like generative cancer cells. You know. You, in there, if you don't cut it out, it's going to take over the whole body. And you know, I mean, if 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 they're trapped on the planet Earth, eventually it will eat itself out. But if they have an escape, like oh, let's go fight over the moon, then it'll last a little bit longer. But yeah, generally, I mean, empires do have to maintain forward momentum; they have to keep expanding, and eventually, it runs out when they can't do it anymore, and everything collapses. And then everyone's like, oh, why is it so terrible? We're starving and cold. And then you're like, well. Explain to you some of the basics of life here. Really? You let psychopaths take over and run things. Regardless of the fact that they're not specifically hurting you today, they will be hurting you in the future. Even if they don't shoot you, eventually they're going to ruin your economy and your government, and then you're going to be starving to death in the cold, and you're not going to be able to do anything about it, and you're going to be saying, why did this happen to me again? Because it's been happening over and over again for the last 10,000 years. You know, stuff like this happened in every single culture throughout history, the Assyrians, the Romans, the Egyptians, all of these people. They let psychopathic priestly people or politicians, whatever you want to call them, you change the name, whatever it is. Hmm. You let them take over. You let them rule. You let them make decisions. And you don't watch them every single minute. So check everything they do. Verify all facts of all the things that they say to you. And then they run your economy and your culture and everything into the ground. And then everybody's, you know... Would you would you notice that in those exactly. you notice in those previous um, empires like the Roman Empire and other empires they uh, they kind of collapsed, but only in on themselves and in a in a, in a specific area. Yeah, you know, but the problem 
today is that our world is so small and the ability for an empire to expand around the globe and take over the entire globe tends to suggest that if there's a collapse, it's going to be global. Mm-hmm. But they have a tremendous advantage. I, they have a huge advantage over the rest of us, and that is that they don't care if they kill. I mean, that's why they succeed. That's why they are allowed to take over. They have no compunctions against killing an opponent. Somebody that, that may be able to bring them down or expose them, kill them. Um, we don't do that. We can't do that. Yeah. Normal people can't live with that. So, you know, that gives them a real advantage when it comes to taking over society in general. Kill the opposition. We can't do that. I mean, we vastly outnumber them. If we were killers, they wouldn't be here. Yeah. But if we were killers, we would end up probably being like them in a certain sense. I mean, to a certain degree. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's the advantage they have. That's why they succeed. But but it's not it's not necessarily an advantage, right? Because um, the reason that it's not advantage they succeed in, in in quick battles, right? They 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 will succeed in like small stuff. But over time, they're going to die just as much as everybody else. They're going to start. Well, they ain't just- doing it in ten thousand years. What? Oh yeah, they oh, haven't they, they haven't died off in ten thousand years. I mean, it, as a species, it, it, the ability to kill really gives them uh, evolutionary advantage. They're on top because they're vicious. Yeah, they just keep coming back. Well, it is kind of a Ragnar Redbeard kind of makes right type of philosophy. A certain level of truth to it, um, but it only works because people allow it to work. You know, people do. You allow it to work because you make choices for yourself. And that's how they get you. Your self-interest ends up getting you. People, they want their TV, they want their house, they want their 2.5 kids, they want their SUV, they want their comfortable life, and they're willing to pay for it. Not just money, they're willing to pay in their freedoms. And as long as they're willing to make choices based on their self-interest of, I want the comfortable life, I don't want to be disturbed with this. That's what they say to themselves. It's not my concern. right? It's going to end up being their concern. It's going to end up being that they're fooling themselves by saying that it's not my concern. But right now they say it's not my concern, and that's the doorway for psychopaths to get things by you. It's 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 you know it's like that old saying that all that's necessary for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing, and that right. is yeah. right. truth. If every single good person did one thing, just one thing, post one message on one blog saying, "Hey, this is some bullshit," <laughs> they would it would be so it would just be it would drown them out if they all got into one area. And just, you know, lit up some campfires. The smoke would cover all of America, you know. I mean, seriously, but they don't do it. They don't do anything. As long as you don't do anything, this is what's going to happen to you. Your society is going to eventually collapse. It's going to be like like Rome. It's going to be like Russia. It's going to be like any of these other types of empires that they kind of disappear in a certain sense. You know, things just, you know, start to fall apart and then everything falls apart. And then suddenly, you know, nobody's got food and millions of people die and there's no medical care. There's no... All this different stuff. That's that's where it's going to go because you let psychopaths rule, and eventually, yep. I think it's going to take. I think it's going to take another ten thousand. To be honest, for people to learn this particular lesson, I think people are very yeah, slow. Right. Another ten thousand years of allowing psychopaths to run governments because they're so charismatic and they're so strong, and they can do all those dirty things that you don't want to do. They can go kill people when they they need to kill people. You know, you don't have to get your hands dirty. And then everything falls apart, and you're all like, oh, wow, why, God, why did you do this to me, and stuff like that. And eventually, people will get it. I have faith. Eventually, people will get it. I think it'll take them. I don't know. Every time somebody pops up is just as charismatic that could, you know, keep people, wake people up, um, 
you know, make a difference and and the populace going in the opposite direction. So that kills them. Yeah, it's I just mean, that, that easy. But what's Kennedy, really the look at Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. But look, look at look at Kennedy. In in a certain sense, that people are really kind of very petty, right? You know, and the weakness of people is not so much that that they kill, you know, the person who pops up. It's that they they defame them. Right, I mean, you've noticed this is, and this works so well with people because they're they're so internally puritanical and 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 duplicitous about this type of stuff that people who who actually do good things just get defamed with you know one thing or another, right? Oh, and yeah. people oh, yeah. it, that they they are jealous and hateful of people. So actually, it's not so much that they go around killing every good person. As a general rule, they don't. What they do is they just defame them. They they send a group of defamers against them, and that kind of ends up working. And you know, people, you know, they'll learn eventually. And then there are those people who do lead by example. Um, right. Bradley Manning comes to mind in the U.S. Nah, he's a tool. and he's totally vilified. He's um, a tool. Do you reckon he's a tool? Oh, sure. We're all tools in the big game, though, right, Jay? What? I mean, everyone plays their part, but. What do you Who's think about the What do you think, Bradley Manning, uh, Betsy? Um, I think he was a young man with conscience, and a young man with conscience in the military is going to wind up getting hurt. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he did exactly what uh, they said he did, and what he said he did is pull off a bunch of, you know, what was not really considered highly classified stuff, um, private had access to it, um, and disseminate it. Disseminate it. So I. I admire him a great deal. Um, I think he should have – I think what he did was absolutely commendable. The mistake he made was, you know, chatting and talking about what he'd done to an arc. Now, if he had done what he – you know, released information and kept his mouth shut, he'd still be wondering which private did it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but they're trying to make it – He only got caught because he went off to a chat message board and talked with this guy, Lamo, who has been a – you know, looking for a chance to narc somebody out since the last time he did it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's in prison because he talked to a snitch. You know, if there's a lesson in this, if there's another private out there that has good information that they want to get out to the people, do it. You know, keep your mouth shut. You know, don't mm-hmm. go talk, talking to people in the chat group about it. Don't say, I released this information on Facebook. Um, they don't have evidence against Bradley Shannon because of of anyone of the information that was published. They had no idea where it came from until he ran it out. Mm-hmm. It's a real shame. I mean, he was, what, twenty twenty one at the time? Yeah, he's a baby. He wanted somebody to talk to. Hard way there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's just a young man. He had a guilty conscience. He thought he was talking to a friend, and then he's probably going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Yeah. They're making an example of him. To try and yeah, make sure no one. And the example is, you know, when you do something like this, it will take a lot of low-level people, you know, and just cogs in the machine who say, this is right, and make it public. After you do it, keep your mouth shut. Don't tell mm. anybody. Majority of people in this country are convicted of crimes because of their own mouths. Yeah. You know, very seldom are they actually convicted on evidence. Yeah. I think, on the other hand, it takes case like this for people of conscience to realize just how careful you got to be, how strategic you've got to be, and you have look to at what you're up against. 
you're up in psychopaths. This is not, you know, what you might have thought of been before. No. People learn the hard way no, how to live it. WikiLeaks has instructions on their website of how to do a completely anonymous drop, how, down to the fact that CD burners are numbered, get one from a thrift store, bring your DVD, put it in a mailbox that's not under some remote mailbox somewhere that's, you know, not under video surveillance. I mean, if you follow those, if you follow those instructions, you know, even the people at that, that received information wouldn't possibly know where it came from. And that's yeah. really the only way to do something anonymously is that the people that give the information to can't even know where it came Because anybody can be made to talk. The only way to do it is through complete anonymity. And and didn't do that. And I feel so sorry for them, but it didn't. Mm. Yeah. All right, Patsy. <laughs> Thanks for your call. Good talking Back to you. Back radio show. All right. All right. Take it easy. Have a good night. So right now we're going to go to a little commercial break and we'll be back in less than two minutes. Since ancient times, great civilizations have risen and fallen. The biblical plagues and the collapse of the old kingdom of Egypt, the plague of Justinian and the collapse of the Roman Empire, the Black Death that devastated Europe. Could similar catastrophes strike our planet again? Laura Knight Yadchik's latest book, Comets in the Horns of Moses, provides compelling evidence that the course of human history has been defined by extraordinary and devastating cosmic events. Drawing on her extensive study of history, religion, psychology, and physics, Laura uncovers clues hidden in the great myths, ancient astronomy, and the works of the Greek philosophers to unveil the secret knowledge of the ages, cyclical cosmic catastrophe, the periodical return of an extraterrestrial threat whose power moved mountains, reduced magnificent cities of old to rubble, and left the most powerful emperors trembling in fear. Comets in the Horns of Moses is a groundbreaking work that sheds light on our dark ages to reveal a timely warning to humanity. The clock is running down on our civilization. Comets in the Horns of Moses, available now for purchase from all Amazon websites. And we're back. That uh, that was a, uh, a little uh, advertisement for Laura's new book, Comets and Horse of Moses. Um, we talked about, or we discussed that topic on a couple of occasions in past shows. Uh, and it definitely does shed light on the past, on some very dark chapters of past history. Uh, that's what we're trying to do here today, although we're trying to shed a little bit of light on chapters of a more recent history. Um, yeah, a couple of years ago, we've been talking about revolution and form it has taken in history, what form is taking now, should people rise up? We talked about a revolution of the mind. Then a couple of years ago, we had the Arab Spring mm-hmm. that broke out in Northern Africa. I think it was Tunisia first. Mm-hmm. Um, spread to Egypt, mm-hmm. where it really took hold, mm-hmm. and it's it's growing. I mean, in, in the Middle East, mm-hmm. um, it's it's kind of hard not to notice that there's a lot of manipulation going on as well. And something I've been wondering is to what extent is it a revolution in the sense of a genuine uprising, a reaction of people, and to what extent is it manipulated? Because we know that the CIA 
amongst other buddies, have uh, the so-called color revolutions. Yeah. Uh, well, there's it, it's not they're not the two ideas aren't mutually exclusive in the sense that you can have a local uh, revolution or an uprising or people clamoring for social justice uh, that happens repeatedly uh, and naturally in countries where such social justice doesn't exist. Um, and we've already talked about that in, in the sense that that's what the whole uh, communist threat and the now terrorism threat is uh, used. Those those two threats are used to as a cover for going into the countries where you have these kind of uh, this kind of clamouring for social justice and to present them as essentially uh, a, today a terrorist. Yeah. Uh, um, that it's a terrorist uprising, or that there are terrorists involved. And you notice that uh, Libya, so the, originally Libya, uh, there was uh, an Arab, the Arab Spring had spread to Libya, but Libya was bombed, or the Arab Spring had already begun by the time Libya yeah. was bombed by NATO. And you notice that. Um, there's there's terror, Muslim terrorist activity now and has been for since since that bombing there has been uh, terrorist attacks like the attack on the American embassy and stuff it's all been spun into the terrorists that are now basically the whole Arab Spring kind of thing um, with the exception of Egypt maybe it's it's been tainted by uh, by claims of terrorist or Al Qaeda involvement the thing is- so they're trying to subvert the genuine any genuine uh, popular uprising and turn it into a, a terrorist uprising that the that the that the Western forces then need to go in and deal with. So they subvert it in that way. The thing is, like in yeah. the best case scenario, right? You look at what the government's doing. Like, let's say you believe everything that they say about what they're doing. All right, so let's just work from that. If you do, then they are the most incompetent people on the face of the planet. Because didn't we go into Libya to fix all these problems and now we've got terrorism there? It's like everywhere America seems to go, this terrorism suddenly pops up. Yeah. I mean, these guys are so – I mean, if we believe what they say, then they've got to be incompetent. If we don't believe what they say, well, then they're liars and they're cheats and they're dishonest and they're murdering people. If we do, they're just the serious – they're like the Gomer piles. Of of generals going on over here. Well, yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> we went there with the best of intentions, but you know, stuff got messed up. It's like, come on, dude, seriously. I mean, even if you believe what they say, you should get rid of them on the grounds that they're incompetent. It's like nobody, should, you know, the U.S. government to continue doing what it's doing the way it's doing it. The people who believe it should still look at them and say, hey, you're incompetent. The people who don't believe it say, hey, you're lying, cheating bastards, and you're killing people. But either way, they need to, they need to go. You know. Yeah, I, th- I think they actually want revolution. They must. You know, the, par- the powers that be want revolution. They want a global revolution or a revolution in successive countries. And that whole idea of revolution comes from communism. You know, the whole the original idea was revolution. Trotskyist kind of like a communist revolution of the globe, you know, and to install a, an agrarian proletariat who was that would, that would control of all, all the means of production and control of of all the resources of the country and stuff. Of course, I mean, they're nice ideals, and people naturally flock to those ideals. But then they, they, you just end up with a with a corrupt elite controlling it and screwing people over. So, I mean, 
but then they, they, other countries fight against all those the, that local population that are that are flocking to that ideal as the enemy and bomb the crap out of them. You know what I mean? So I mean, you have this global elite. There's no difference between the the, the elite communists of the day and the elite Western leaders of the day. They're both elites, and they both kill their own people. It's like what Boris said. You know, poor people got more in common with you know with black people than they do with rich people type of thing. You know, I mean. You know, poor people everywhere have something in common together. You have nothing in common with the elites of the population. Your rulers, you have nothing in common. You have no common ground. They have more money than you will ever see in your entire life. Mm -hmm. They live a lifestyle that you can never live. They make decisions that you would never be able to make, that you would never have the power to make, and that no person should actually have the power to make, and they only accidentally do because you've been sitting along playing Angry Birds all day and sitting on your Facebook with Farmville. You know, you've been too busy with other important shit, you know? You have nothing in common with the elites, and you shouldn't feel. You know, people sit there and say like, "Oh, we kind of need them." It's like, yeah, well, maybe, but maybe not. I mean, no, you don't. About it, you, you don't really need them. Everything like, that goes on in a country is, is 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 you know produced. All of the workings of a country is produced by the ordinary people, right? And it's it's made to work by the ordinary people. Think about it. In your right. country, what keeps the country running? It's ordinary people working ordinary jobs, what? and the elite up there and. Try to pretend that they are in some way, you know, indispensable to that process because people wouldn't know, wouldn't know how to like, you know, raise raise cows or keep a farm or or dig holes in the road and repair roads without elites who don't know how to do it themselves. <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, it's ridiculous. Thing is, societies exist based on something that really isn't kind of true. It's like a universally accepted lie. It's a social contract. It's a faith in an organization, a grouping of of people, right? You know, you agree that money has value. You agree that a position gives a person the power to make decisions. You agree that a judge has the right. You you, you agree to all these things. These are contracts that the, the entire society implicitly or explicitly makes with each member that you, you agree to. All right? You could just – really, people could if they really wanted to. If all the people or a large majority of people got together, they could just agree and say, you know what? turns out that we don't need a president – from now on, we'll have a magic eight ball set on an altar, <laughs> yeah. and every time we need a decision, we will shake that eight ball, and that will be what happens. Yeah. And you would probably actually end up getting a better society. You can agree. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can consent a society. You don't have to have a democracy. You don't have to have a totalitarian government. You don't have to have fascism. You don't have to have communism. You don't have to have any of these prefabricated structures. You can create one ad hoc. And as long as you get people to agree that it's going to function, it will function. Because the thing is, is the guy who takes out the garbage and the guy who runs the machine that flattens out the road, you know, and, and, the, and the guy who turns, flips the switch to turn on the electricity or to turn off the electricity or refuels the tanks or whatever, those people, they don't need a president or they don't need any kind of established elites to tell them, like Joe was saying, to tell them to do their job or how to do their job. They do it because – We've all agreed that this is society should run, and we don't realize that we can change our minds at any point, and we can restructure society if we wanted to, but you know, people won't, but they could, and they should recognize that you have more control over the way society runs than you think, and it's not about voting, right? Because voting is just – voting is a system that society agreed on would be the way of doing this, and of course now it's gotten polluted, but you could change that. And, you, know, you can change stuff. By getting people to put aside their differences, by having this thing that I've talked about, this revolution of the mind, changing the way you think about it, changing the way you think about yourself and other people, putting aside your differences, and understanding that people actually have more of a unified cause than they really think. Like, here's a great example. 
like there's a group of, of transsexuals, right? And they're marching against the government because they want to change some sort of establishment. There's a group of gay people and they're marching against the government to get gay marriage. And then there's women who want, you know, rights for women, and then there's blacks who want rights for blacks, and there's poor people who want more health care. And none of these people come together and support each other, but they all have exactly the same abstract goal. That is, they want to change the government, right? That's what they want, each and every one. The fact that one of them wants to change for gay marriage and perhaps another group wants to change it against gay marriage is kind of irrelevant in a certain sense. Like, a person who doesn't want gay marriage should help the people who do want gay marriage on the basis of the fact that they should want it to be proved true that the government can be changed. Okay. You know, basically that, you know, if, unless somebody has a completely, di- in that particular example, it's diametrically opposed. Unless somebody has a completely diametrically opposed opinion to you, you should help them out. If people in society were to get together and say, you know what, I'm not really interested in your cause. You know what, I'm going to show up to your demonstration just because I support the whole idea that you're trying to change the government. And I want the government to change. You know, once once the the change ball starts rolling, then you know things can happen. But until the government starts changing based on the voice of the people, nothing's going to happen. And that's what you have today. You have all these different groups who are sort of marching for some kind of things. We want to control the bankers. You know, we want to control the you know corporate spending here. We want to control like the rights uh, for marriage. We want to control these different things. These people just need to get together and say, you know what, your cause really isn't my cause, but I'm going to help you anyway. You know, I mean. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think we've seen some, we have seen some of that yeah. in the West, in the Occupy movement, not just yeah. in the U.S. Um, we we saw that in Egypt. I mean, people were getting together en masse yeah. and discussing and talking about things. Yeah. Um, but that's that's seen as a threat immediately, immediately to the elite, and yeah. they don't like that kind of thing. It is a threat to them, and they, at least that's one they're clear on that that they they're very perceptive of a threat to their own positions. It always comes from people. The problem is the logical conclusion of every of every conversation that a whole group of people would have over a long period of time is that we don't need them. That's the ultimate conclusion. Mm-hmm. If a whole bunch of people come together and started talking about it, start trying to solve problems, right? And eventually they would come to the problem of, well, why don't we just get rid of the elite and then we won't have this 50 other problems that we've all been arguing against because mm-hmm. they're actually caused by them. And I think the, that they're innately aware of the threat the power of the be because they respond. We're talking about the Muslim terror threat, but the language has actually changed, especially since Obama came to power. Mm-hmm. Ter- terrorism is now a far wider concept. Mm-hmm. That's why there are headlines like oil terror plot connected to Occupy Wall Street movement mm-hmm. and threat of domestic terrorism. Yeah, that right. should give people a real pointer Hello. to what the whole terror threat Beginning with the Kanis, then going to Muslim terrorism, what the whole point was, was to instill in people uh, the acceptance or get people to accept the idea that the government has to take measures against threats from wherever so that then they can apply it to the threat, the only threat that really exists for them, which is threat from the people. It has always been about the people and it was always going to be turned on the ordinary people of the country of the U.S., of Europe, or wherever, these policies were always directed at you because there never was a Muslim terror threat. There were no Muslims to prosecute this war on terror against, all designed to create the infrastructure of essentially a police state and uh, putting more and more power in the hands of the elite so that they could use it against the people. Well, what is terrorism? I mean, if you get right down to it, terrorism is 
when a person decides to use violence against established authority. That's what terrorism is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not what the word should mean, right? That's not what the word should mean. The word should mean it's somebody who uses terror to coerce, mm-hmm. right? That's really not what they mean when they say a terrorist. They've changed the kind of meaning as a person who basically takes up arms against the government but is not large enough in numbers to be considered a revolution mm-hmm. or a civil war, right? It's just – it's basically if you have one – if you have one to ten people – decide to like go bomb some sort of government facility, they're terrorists. Now, if 10,000 people decide to do it, that's a revolution. You know, so th- That's basically all it is. A terrorist is somebody who is against them, period. Mm-hmm. That's what terrorism is. Terrorism is anyone against the government. And they are trying to change that definition in the people's minds. They're changing the wording, changing everything, crowding it around, because basically what it is and what they're going to do is if you do not like the way things are, then you will be, by definition, that they have created a terrorist, period. You are going to be a terrorist if you don't agree. Terrorism is flexible, depending on the on the context. Yeah, sure. Yeah, freedom fighters and rebels in Libya, but in Syria, they're mm. terrorists. Yeah. Exactly. No, oh, I got that right. They're they're freedom fighters there as well. The terrorist there is the government. The change from day to day. <laughs> it, it flips. You know, it's it's all they, they they call them whatever they want to call them based on if it serves the American government's needs. They're freedom fighters. If it doesn't serve what the American government wants or doesn't represent their policies and their terrorists. Yeah, whatever works. You know, whatever whatever they want. They, they call it anything they, they want. They call them Smurfs. Yeah. If, if it's if it suited their purposes, they'd call them Smurfs. The crazy thing is, as such, never existed. Nowadays, you have, we see it all the time, you get photographs of Syrian, they're rebels now. These aren't Al-Qaeda terrorists. These mm-hmm. are rebels posing with the Al-Qaeda flag, which I guess at some point was created since 9-11, and identifying with the ideology that never actually existed but has been brought into existence. Mm -hmm. And it is drawing radicalized Muslims whose homes have been bombed, countering the non-existent threat on terrorism. Mm -hmm. You wonder if they're going to create their own Frankenstein. You wonder if they're going to create their own Frankenstein. If they they actually are going to radicalize the Muslim world because the Muslims are finally going to get tired of being the whipping boy well, and the scapegoat of the Americans, they're going to radicalize Muslims, and they're going to say, you know what, maybe we don't believe in all this fundamental Muslims, Islam stuff, but you know what, we're still going to tra- strap bombs to our chest type of thing. You know, I mean, you, you yeah. can really, they can end up creating the terrorism. Well, yeah, that absolutely, but that, but that suits their agenda because then they've created a fact on the ground. They've created the reality that they claimed existed beforehand by going around bombing and killing innocent people. Uh, claiming they're Muslim terrorists, and so then the people who are still left alive say, "Well, yeah, I'm kind of annoyed, so I'm going to be. I want to. I want to terrorize you back." So now they've right. created Muslim terrorists, and um, the thing is, is they go too far. They always go too far. You back somebody in a corner, treat them like a rat. Trust me, man. But it's a testimony that just how how reluctant people are. It is to fight back and to use any kind of violent tactics because people have been pushed so far. Especially in in Arab and Muslim countries, have been pushed so far, and and so few of them have done anything in response, have taken any action in response, because they don't. I mean, it's not natural to human beings, but it's natural to psychopaths. Here's the proof of that, right? To attack people in Russia, what happened? People wanted bread and freedom, right? (laughs) They put the bread first because they were really hungry. They did all this marching, they overthrew all this stuff, right? They put these dudes these dudes in charge, and then how many of them starved to death? Forty million, right? How long did communism last? It didn't work. 
You know, it wasn't working. People were still starving everywhere, but they just, you know, they just laid down and took it. It's like the the transmarginal inhibition, the uh, mm-hmm. Pavlov's dogs. You know, they put the dog in the cage and they they electrocute the left side of the cage, and so the dog jumps up and goes to the right side of the cage. And they electro- electrocute the right side of the cage, and the dog jumps up and goes to the left side of the cage. And then they keep doing this for a while, and the dog keeps really getting really getting irritated by this. And then they decide, you know what? Will electrocute the entire bottom of the cage, and then the dog freaks out. Oh, I can't do it. Can't. Dog doesn't know what to do. It just sits there. Doesn't know what to do, right? But it then passive. it can't go back and forth, and so then it just lies down and accepts the shock because you know what? There's nothing it can do anymore, and that's how people are. They just accept the way the things they they accept things the way they are because they don't believe they can change them, and that's a lie. You can absolutely. We got a call here. We're going to take this call. Hello. Hello. Hi, what's your name and where are you calling from? This is Lynn from Canada. Lynn, Lynn from Canada, hi. Hi. Welcome. Hi. I just wanted to address something that was a little further back that Jason was talking about, that, you know, if one person just does one thing, um, I think that we could probably get them right where they live just in terms of what we spend money on. Uh yeah. You know, you take your money out of big banks, you don't shop with big corporations, you buy local, you don't buy processed crap. You just basically don't feed them. And you have to be aware of it. Because you've seen what they've tried to do. They've tried to corner that. They've tried to make that not But What they've done is they've started creating these large, basically corporate entities, like this fair trade label and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I looked at Right, and I, this is like a huge corporate thing. It's like all of a sudden I was like, I was thinking that when I was buying Fair Trade, that I was doing something good, and then I saw the organization behind it, and I was like, hold on a second, this is like, this is practically like buying from Coca Cola. So, I mean, yeah. when, when it comes down to like buying locally, it's you know, you really you're probably best off finding a farmer who actually like grew on his farm or you know something like that when you're when you're buying locally. Not don't don't be fooled by bio locally grown labels because. You know, as it turns out, companies are not really obligated to tell you the truth on their labels most of the time. They can say it's bio and it's not really. They can say it's non-GMO and it's not really. They can say that it's locally grown and it's not. You know, it's like, um, what was that? I think it was like Ford or something had made in America or one of the car companies did. And mm-hmm. like only art was actually made in America. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. They- no, I understand that. And that is exactly what I mean. Um, you know, you <laughs> I go to a local butcher and I say... Where do you get your eggs from? Where do you get your meat from? And he can tell me exactly who, and they're like 20 miles out of town. The only barrier to that I can see is when people are asked to, you know, give up things that they can't get locally. Um, you know, we're we're so spoiled with, you know, having, you know, cherries from Peru in December. It's ridiculous. But um, but that really, to me, is, is the one way you can do it, and it's not going to get you labeled a terrorist and a rebel. It's just you very quietly conducting your life. Yeah. A quiet revolution. I mean, it's it's really it's probably one of the best decisions anybody could make is basically what you're saying is to is to stop feeding the machine. Mm-hmm. You know, just just don't feed it. You know, I mean, if you can't actually do something to help specifically, right? Right. Don't think to, to make hurt, it worse. To make yeah. it worse. Feeding the machine, you know, every time you buy Coca-Cola, you are feeding into that sort of corporate machine. Every time you buy GMO foods, you are, you know, you're, you're accepting them, you know, you, you can't. And, and that's the thing. That's the price that people have. 
Okay. Oh, absolutely, so, and that's why I think that that uh, one of the things that SOT does is they've they've really given a lot of uh, a lot of uh, airtime or you know page time to to things like the paleo diet, which okay. do you know practically if you want to do it properly, you need to go this route because if you want to have really nutritious food, which has the lovely side effect of of helping you think straight, who knew, you know? All right, we got another. What? No. Oh, no, we don't. They dropped off. Anyway, so, oh, yeah, what I was going to say on the paleo diet is actually kind of awesome because um, probably the biggest staple of the diet, as we've discovered, is the uh, is the kind of the black broth, you know. We're, we're kind of mm-hmm. big on this whole, you know, the um, bone broth. Yeah, the bone broth, right? But you, there's a story from, it comes out of, who is it, Plutarch, when he's talking about uh, Lycurgus, the founder of Sparta, and how, how all of the old people ate the black broth, you mm-hmm. know, this called it, right? And it was, it was basically they left all the meat for the young people and they just ate the, the, the broth that the meats and the bones were cooked in. And it turns out that that is like a very good way to get nutrients is to make like bone broth and put a little bit of meat in it. And, and it's, it's very cheap. affordable. Because yeah. It's dirt, you know, so if you're poor and you're saying like, where am I going to get, you know, nutritious food from? It turns out that the stuff that nobody wants to buy, which is a couple of chunks of fat and some bones, is probably one of the best things that you can eat. So, yeah, the paleo diet is, is a really is awesome, and it's more economical. You'd think that it wouldn't be, but it turns out it's way more economical. Absolutely. Um, and, again, you know, you're, it's, it's a double whammy. You're helping yourself, and mm-hmm. you're helping the cause with, you know, very little effort and, and, you know, for people who are worried about it, very little, you know, danger. If that's, I mean, I know some people who are really paranoid, like, like, you know, if I go to this site, will I be tracked? And it's like, oh, you already are. But anyway, yeah. Well, you know, so it's it's a way of of accomplishing these goals in a very pardon aren't important. I said people worry about the things that aren't really important because you know you can't really do anything about the the website tracking and stuff like that. There's not really anything that you're going to be able to do about that. Mm-hmm, but you can't exactly. something about buying Coca Cola or you know not choosing, you know, choose not to drive somewhere, choose not to watch the television, you know, choose not to, to buy this or buy that, you know, choose to buy, you know, regular people for regular people instead of buying something with a stupid brand on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, if you make those choices and, you know, don't buy into the, the, the consumerist culture, you'd be surprised that you have a lot more time to do other things that are important, like, you know, maybe listen learn a new language, <laughs> you know, listen to the show, yeah. read about Read that book that you've you've been promising to yourself, you know, things like that. Pardon? So yeah. What? I missed oh, that no. last thing. He was just saying that you know people have a lot more time to read that book because they've been waiting to read and stuff like that. Exactly. You know, write, write that novel or <laughs> make that post. Yeah. Anyway, that's all well, I wanted to say is that 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 it's not this great onerous I can't change the world sort of thing. There's things you can do every day. Yeah. Just one thing. I mean, if every person if every person did just one thing every day, one small thing, say no. When you're watching the news, just say out loud, I don't believe that. You know, I mean, seriously, you'd be surprised how much power that would have when when 100 million people are sitting there watching the news and all of them say at one time, horse I talkie. don't believe that, or horse shit. It's like, <laughs> thunder. it's like thunder to the gods. It's like a it's like a prayer that will let them know that they don't need to destroy you, you know? And they don't <laughs> Send the arrow of Zeus or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Anyway, great show, guys. Carry on. Right. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks, Lynn. You're welcome. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. She's giving me an idea for a show. You know? What? 
carbs and addictions and feeding the machine. Yeah, that would be a show. We might. Well, the uh, thing that always struck me about that whole situation is basically there's really no such thing as an essential carb, right? Right. You don't need it, right? There are people actually in the world like the Inuits, you know, they they, they live in really cold climate. They kind of grow vegetables. Yeah. You will die if you don't eat fat. Basically, like that's basically a fact. If you all vegetarians are always on a quest to find some sort of non-animal source of fat, and most of them give up and they eat fish or something like that because mm-hmm. fish is really good fat, right? Right. A vegetarian that eats fish, in my opinion, has really sold. On it to yeah, me and conversely, they they eat uh, vegetable fats that have been hydrogenated. Yeah, and that will kill you. That will kill you eventually. But they're always on that. So, I mean, there's this kind of like this mental duplicity, this cognitive dissonance going on because basically you will die about fat, but you will not die if you never eat a vegetable again for the rest of your life. But like I don't eat vegetables, right? And when I tell people that, they look at me like, but you'll die. And I was like, actually, it's the exact opposite of that. You won't die Mm -hmm. at all. In fact, you would die. You know, it's like man can't live on bread alone. Well, it turns out that man can live on meat alone. You know, I mean, and that's yeah. the, the interesting kind of interesting truth about the and whole diet. People need to listen to kids. How many kids around the world when they're first introduced to vegetables turn their nose up and yeah. toss them off the plate, you know? That's an instinctive reaction to vegetables <laughs> from a human being who hasn't been programmed with the idea that they're nutritious and nutritious and delicious but they're not and healthy. They're anti-nutritious. That's one of those things. It's like... Again, if you take the exact opposite of what is commonly accepted and told to you, especially by the government and the FDA, the exact opposite is the truth. Yep. And the exact opposite is that grains are actually anti-nutritious. They will suck nutrients out of your body, and they will hurt your body. It's like crazy. But they say, no, you have to have them. It's, ah, it's, yep. always, it's always the inverse for these people. They just tell you the exact opposite of the truth, and people believe it. Yeah, that's a pretty good idea for another show, you know. Um, we'll, wow, we'll probably do that on... On, on carbs and yeah. meat and what you should eat and why fat is where it's at, as uh, our famous make, make and Bacon song by Relic uh, says. So, But I think we've kind of, uh, this show has run its course at this yeah. point, and we're going to leave it there for I'm this week. I'm getting tired. Uh, Jason's getting tired. I so I want to go to sleep. So that's... Uh, I want to apologize in case I sounded incoherent. Like I was kind of getting incoherent. It's because I'm very tired. Normally I'm getting up very early in the morning and staying up late is kind of harsh on me. So. Yeah, it's bad for you. Yeah. No worries, Jason. I was getting incoherent there. And... All right, folks. Thanks for listening in to, obviously, to our listeners and also to our callers who called in. We appreciate it. And and people should call in more. I'm going to I'm People should call in. Because people, people, think, people think that, Oh, I don't know what to say, or they already said that. But the point is that the way you, the listener, would say something, even if we have touched on it, would, you know, lead us off in another direction, and it would be your particular viewpoint on it and the way you said. So you shouldn't use that as an excuse not to call in. You should always call in. And you should if you show have a love. You and you should show the love by calling in, yeah. Yeah, show me love. You should Jason call in and tell the me love. how much I love you. <laughs> yes, yeah, specifically. Like, say, Jason, we love you so much. Yeah, like if, if everybody who calls in from now on prefaces a call with this one to say, Jason, I love you, and here's my here's my question, and that would be great. So if you yeah. could do that. Um, yeah, if you could just do that and, and that would know, make... call it a couple times and tell yeah. me how great I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> feel free. There's no, there's no limit to the number of times you can tell Jason that you love him. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Anyway, as I said, that's the end of this week's show, and we will be back next week uh, in some form or other. And uh, 
we all have another topic to talk about. We don't know what no, it is won't. yet, but no, we won't actually. Yes, well, no. we'll what do you mean? No, we're 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 going to make a little, little sort of artsy fartsy kind of attempt. We're basically going to have a radio show with no talking. With some like uh, ah, it's very radio very, nouveau. Yeah, it's yes. nouveau radio with with like interpreters. You're supposed to imagine what, what you're supposed to imagine <laughs> what we would have said. <laughs> Can we have some interpretive jazz in there? Yeah, we'll have some jazz playing. All Discordant the time. jazz. We could and do some miming. The most important thing is what we didn't say. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's fodder for conspiracy theories right there. So, All right, folks. As I said, we'll see you all when? Next week? Yeah. Next, next Sunday. Week. Next Sunday. In night. the fullness of time. Yes. In the, full, in the fullness of time. That's a good way to end the show. So we will leave it there. Thanks to all. Bye.